for the record, since you're the first person I've talked to, I'll get my picks on the record. My other wild card pick is the Red Sox. Ugh, you're such a homer. That's your. That will be your Achilles heel. You will. That will cost you the championship right there. I we'll predict see. that that will cost you your champion, the championship. We'll see. And I will win because you picked the Red Sox. Corporate masters that own the Blue Jays finally unleashed the purse strings and said, good, let's load up. Enough of this rebuilding crap. Let's take our shot and see if we can win a World Series. So they are set. I mean, I think they are a potential juggernaut. So um, I think they'll win, you know, by seven or eight games in the East. Okay, wow. See, I don't even have them making the playoffs. You will be mistaken. You know, the Yankees, um, I think they will fill in, finish ahead of the Red Sox, but I think both of them are going to finish, you know, in third, fourth, fifth place kind of thing. And now, ladies and gentlemen, Banal of America Audio with your host, Tim Banal. What is going on, my friends? No commercials, no subscriptions, no network, no rules, no comparison. Yes, once again, it is time for BOA Live. Please forgive me, Paul. I felt terrible, actually, as I was listening to that. (laughs) Our guest is my good buddy, Paul Kimball. He's back here on the BOA franchise. And uh, despite all those no's, again, also tonight, we really have no agenda, no plans. We're just going to rock and roll and, uh, you know, have an old-fashioned jam session. So welcome back to the show, Paul. And, again, <laughs> I really just had to. I, the opportunity was there too easily for me to not bust your chops on that one. Sorry. <laughs> no no worries, Tim. Happy to be on Vanilla of America Live. And I have to say it's win-win for me. If I had been right in my prediction, then I would have been right in my prediction. And because I'm wrong in my prediction, it means the Red Sox are going to the playoffs, and I'm a Red Sox fan, so there's no real lose. I'd also like to point out, that I am still the defending champion. Mm-hmm. So until that crown is taken away from me, doesn't matter what my record is, what my predictions are, you can never, ever take sweet victory from last year away from me. Exactly. Well, you could, because you could just erase me from the record books like Chris Benoit. But, um, you know, other than that, you can't take my, my record away from me. <laughs> well, you've worked a wrestling reference and a, and and we've got the baseball covered here, so too Look. soon for for the Chris Benoit reference. Is it I, think okay. I think okay. we're okay. I think we're okay. So, so Tim put me in the crossface crippler to start the show, but there you go. <laughs> That's even more obscure. Don't turn off the dials yet, folks. We're we're getting into paranormal talk in just a moment. I'm afraid people are already like baseball. Well, forget that, man. And as Paul said before the show started, nobody wants to hear us talk about baseball. So. We're going to uh, discuss the world of the paranormal. It's good to catch up with you again. It's been about a year since uh, we had you on here to talk to all these folks. Was it? Yeah. No. Yeah, it was when the book I... came out, right? About about October or so. Well, my how time flies. Yeah, I guess maybe. Yeah, the book came out in October. I thought I talked to you. Yeah, uh, I talked to you in November, but you aired it in January, I think. So, so technically, it's been about a year since you and I talked on the phone for a show, but it's been less than a year since it aired. So, 
That's true. See, now you've it's got... It's like time dilation. It's yeah. like time slips. <laughs> yeah, well, that's the, that's the beauty of the live program now, because people are listening to us talk right now. They don't have to wait, so... No, and it's fun to come back, because I, I miss the Joker-esque laugh that you have that is kind <laughs> of three octaves higher than Heath Ledger's. Wait, is it too soon for Heath Ledger, too? Sorry. Oh, my God. <laughs> Chris Benoit and Heath Ledger in five minutes. Uh, yeah. yeah, we're going through a veritable Paul Kimball death pool here. What? <laughs> what? So, what have you been up to now? Last time we talked, there was a there was a there was a TV project in the works, right? That we talked about for some maybe some comedy channel or something. I'm still mistaken about that. It's good to see that you pay attention to each and every word that comes out of my mouth when I come on your show. <laughs> no. The feature film project, I was actually just getting ready to head off into the wilderness of Nova Scotia to shoot a feature film, which I did, which is 98% posted now. It's in post-audio. In fact, I had a meeting with the, the online video, or I should say online film guy, yesterday, so the, we're just making a couple of last weeks. It'll be done by the end of, no, sorry, end of November, end of October. And um, unlike Eternal Kiss, which was the film I shot in 2008, that I, I hate admitting that I was I did because I for a whole bunch of reasons it was terrible and I botched it and it's been buried. No one will ever see that film again. But this one this is like this is rebooting my career. This is rebooting my filmmaking career. So this is Paul Kimball as feature filmmaker 2.0. It's a film called Damnation, based on a script, an original script of Walter Bosley. There's a paranormal. No, oh, love Walter. He's the man. He's a man. Yes, uh, based on the <laughs> script. That Walter pitched me several years ago that I liked the story idea, but then I completely rewrote the script. But um, yeah, and so I and I start shooting a new one, a bigger one that was done for under hundred thousand. I start shooting a new, bigger one that has a budget of you know still a low budget indie, you know about five hundred thousand. I start shooting that in uh, November. Again, it has a paranormal theme. It's about um, time travel and. Uh, you know, alternate universes and stuff. So I mine, and Damnation, the one that I, is coming out this October, um, we have a British distributor, so, you know, it'll be in festivals, and then, I don't know, Netflix or wherever people see stuff. It it involves, potentially, it might involve the devil. And so no. I'm always working and, the paranormal, oh, yeah. Yeah. even when even when I can't. Even if it's a rom-com, it'll probably be like, you know, what would happen if Satan came to Earth and met Meg Ryan or something like that? No, well, a, a UFO. Ryan, uh, well. No, a UFO buff falls in love with a sexy skeptic. That's your okay. That's your first movie. of all, I'm not sure there's any, I'm not sure there's any sexy skeptics out there. <laughs> that's why it's called acting. Oh, fiction mm, and fiction. Yeah. Fair enough. Yeah, and there might be some sexy skeptics. Out. Lance Moody, he's he's sexy. <laughs> I don't know. I just gave you an idea for a, a million-dollar film, so I expect to uh, at least be the part of Bellhop, number one. Give Walter a call and find out how much an idea for a film is worth. He'll tell you exactly what I paid him. <laughs> what did I pay him? Oh, I think I paid him a dollar. And in Canadian currency, too. But he gets a screen credit. Yeah, and you, like, gutted the whole story you just said. I did, but an idea is still an idea, and he actually, Walter has a credit, and... Um, and he has a piece of the back end. So always be willing to sell profit, folks. It's the Ed Wood School of Filmmaking. You know, you got 100% profit, you give away 200% to raise money. And then people hope that your financers never all show up at the same party at the same time and start comparing notes. Hey, I own a quarter of this film. Well, I own a quarter. And then you find out there's eight people who own a quarter. Is that how it really happens? Yeah. Well, it's what happened to Ed Wood. You know, he would oversell the film. 
So it's almost Ronald Reagan mathematics. You know, well, we have, you know, you get a pie with two halves in the first half, the second half, and then he goes in the third half, and a reporter says, uh, Mr. President, aren't there only two halves in a pie? I said, let me rephrase. So, yeah, that's film financing 101. All right. There you go. Weird. Yeah. Well, that's like a run on the bank. You don't want that to happen, that kind of thing. No. No. What? I, I prefer to walk on the bank, maybe. <laughs> oh, Jesus. That's the so what do you want to talk about? You. Because you're going to lose all your listeners, your guests, all these guests in your chat room are going to are going to go ah. Can't um, you see on the side of their little heads? They all have little Z's on them anyway. They've already fallen asleep. <laughs> oh, it's very yeah, demoralizing yeah. as the host. You see these little these little icons of sleeping heads uh, <laughs> next to all good the to people see the, in the chat. Good to see Red Pill Junkie is here. He stalks me on Twitter. There so, you go. And I I stalk him. So well, Maybe he'll call call in or something. Yeah, yeah. Well, this is this is the uh, you know this is the warm up part. So what what have you been up to in the world of the aside from paranormal films and stuff? Let's talk about your thoughts on you know the last year or so in paranormalia, specifically UFOs, because I mean that's kind of your bailiwick anyway. So what did you think? Look, I'll, I'll set you up with a softball. Okay, this will get the ball rolling. What did you think of the uh, of the big event in D.C. where they trotted out everyone who's ever you know held a government position and also heard about UFOs, you know, oh, to testify. I thought, you were, I, I thought you were talking about the various press conferences about coming up with a rationale for bombing Syria back to the Stone Age. Oh, you mean the citizens' hearing on disclosure. That's right. Um, well, I kind of promised on Facebook that I would go old school tonight, that my new age persona, my friendlier, cuddlier Paul, uh, that I've become, I would set that aside and I would travel back in time to be the sarcastic, caustic, evil Paul that everyone hated from the first season or second season when I was first on Banal of America. Uh, I don't know. I just don't think I have it in me, Tim. I mean, I have to give props to Steve Bassett. Oh, my God. I can't believe I just said that. Wow. Are you Look, serious? I'm, I'm waiting for this to be like one of those pro wrestling swerves. You know? <laughs> he pulled it off. I mean, the guy raised money. Um, hundreds of thousands of dollars, I guess. He put he he pulled it off. He brought in a whole bunch of people. He actually got now in the subculture that is ufology. There really is no such thing as bad press. These people wouldn't know bad press if it bit them on the ass. So, I mean, in the world I work in, there is bad press. Somebody gives you a one star review in the New York Times, that's bad press. Yeah. Probably going to hurt you. Know. Actually, I don't live in that world because I don't get reviewed in the New York Times. But the yeah. world I aspire to live in, the general entertainment <laughs> industry. That I live in. I mean, I one of my films got a bad review once in the National Post, which is one of Canada's national newspapers. Uh, but I found a good quote, so I, I guess maybe there is no such thing as bad press. Anyway, I digress. In ufology, there's no such thing as bad press, because basically it's just like the sort of picked-upon kid in elementary school who consistently during recess stands in the corner alone. And someday, one day, somebody throws a rock at him, and he goes, oh, my God, they know I'm here. That's what that's what these people in ufology are like, like Bassett. I mean, somebody threw a rock at him after the citizens hearing on disclosure. They got some press coverage, some of it, most of it negative or mocking, some of it not completely negative, so fair enough, but none of it terribly serious. You didn't see any of the major news organizations going, well, if we need to go straight to President Obama. This is groundbreaking stuff. Why didn't we know about this? So fair enough. So I give Bassett credit, though, just for getting in the New York Times or, or wherever. Um, and, you know, some of the people there 
have some interesting things to say. They're not all kooks and nuts. Kevin Randall's a sensible fellow. Nick Pope is a sensible fellow. They were there. Um, it's a short list, but Stan, <laughs> that's all you have left. Stan was there. I might disagree with him on many things, but he's earned the right to be considered a sensible fellow, so fine. But, you know, then there's the usual crackpots and kooks like Stephen Greer and um, Linda Moulton Howe, although she's not as, well, she's not as bad as Stephen Greer. He was she even there? I don't think she was even there. Yeah, she was. Oh, yes. Oh, wow. She definitely was there. Um, and then you have some people kind of in the middle, like Richard Dolan, who has pretensions to be serious and has done some serious and interesting things, but also hangs out far too often with the crackpots and kooks and takes them at their word and cites anonymous sources to be completely considered by anybody outside ufology as anything remotely approaching a serious historical researcher. So it was a mixed bag, and good for him, though, for pulling it off. As an entertainment industry professional, I admire a guy who can pull off an event like that, do it successfully. So now, on the question of whether it makes any difference to, and I'm I'm just going to pretend I care about disclosure, or I even believe that it's possible, or I even believe that there's something to disclose, and none of those three, three things are true, but I'll pretend, because it's acting, Tim. <laughs> it, 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 it won't make a hill of difference. Uh, a, be, a hill of beans worth a difference. Uh, most people have already forgotten about it, um, outside of ufology. They're, assuming there is something to disclose, Having a fake hearing in Washington isn't going to get that disclosure. I mean, they're not going to suddenly wake up at MJ-12 and go, oh, man, yeah, wow, we were wrong. Wow, 60 years, and we've just, these guys, they convinced us. We saw them on the stream on the interweb, and Paul Hellyer, I mean, he had me at hello. So let's just release the, the secrets and show them the alien body or whatever. So that's not going to happen. So... You know, it doesn't serve any practical purpose. It won't push their agenda. If their agenda was to achieve disclosure of whatever they think the government's hiding, won't do any good. But I think their secret agenda, because everyone has a secret agenda, is to make money, you know, to have it continue to be a going concern. The last thing Bassett would ever want is disclosure, because that's the end of the business, right? Same thing with Greer. If they actually came out and said, Ladies and gentlemen, I'm the President of the United States, Barack Obama, and um, in between bombing Syria and another country we are going to name later, it's like trading players in hockey, we're going to bomb Syria and a country to be named later. Um, You're obsessed like with the Syria thing. Well, yes, because you know the United States is, is an empire um, that goes around committing war crimes, but that we don't want to talk about that because people want to hear that even less than baseball. Okay. <laughs> so, but he would say, in between all that and, and trying to get my... my Ter- terrible, you know, the rest of the world is laughing at his health care plan actually passed so that at least some basic third world form of socialized health care can, can be in the United States. Get that passed through the Republicans. I'd like to introduce you, between all of that, to Blurg, the alien from Zeta Reticuli that we've been keeping for 60 years at Area 51. Blurg, say hello. And then, you know, it kind of goes from there. As soon as that happens, it's over. I mean, nobody's ever going to listen to Stephen Bassett again. He'll go back to, you know, whatever he did before. Nobody knows. Greer, nobody will listen to him. Stan Friedman, nobody will listen to him. Because they'll suddenly, they would be talking to um, real scientists and real historians and real sociologists and real politicians and real military leaders and real religious leaders and whatever. I disagree slightly with that. I think they would hang around for a while, like... Oh, well, they'll hang I think, around. I think they would get a boost, actually, for a little while of people that no. were like, oh, my God, you were right. But only for, you know, only in, it's going to take a while for the historians and the and the other people to get in, you know, to pick up the 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 baton, if you will. I know they, they would be like, 
overnight. It will seem like overnight, but it will be more like six months, really, as it's sort of percolating. Well, six months in the grand scheme of the universal bucket of time is nothing. So they will be gone overnight in the universal bucket of time in a blink of an eye. Because uh, nobody will care what they have to say, because they won't be the people that will matter. And probably they won't get any credit. I mean, the, go back to the Soviet Revolution in 1917 and 1918, and try and name any of the original Bolsheviks, besides the ones who twisted the revolution, became Lenin, Stalin, and ran the Soviet Union for the next 30 years. You can't, because they were all killed one way or another, or they all faded from history. Nobody remembers those people. All they remember are the people who take control of whatever revolutionary movement you have and then turn it into whatever they want. So all these people in the disclosure movement, I mean, their, their best case scenario would be that they could get together for a reunion, you know, a few years later and go, hey, we were right. Um, yeah, we were, but nobody's going to care. So they don't want that. They really don't. What they want, and people who want disclosure do, of course, the you know the sort of the people that go to their conferences and stuff the consumers yes and that's exactly what they are to them to mm -hmm. Bassett and those folks yeah but I've I've talked to Steve Bassett I don't think Steve Bassett wants disclosure because that's his life that's his gig that would be like me saying you know what I want to make the greatest feature film ever so that I can never possibly make a better feature film and then I I guess I got to quit right because I'll be at the top or whatever. <laughs> I don't want to do that. I want to keep making films. I want to keep making mediocre films just good enough so that somebody will give me a little more money to make a, a slightly better one next time. It's the Michael Bay School of Filmmaking. So, yeah, you know, that's that's what that's what this disclosure movement is. So that's that's the downside. There's the wrestling swerve. But having said that, I admire them for the entertainment professionals that they are because that's what they are. They're, and they're selling a product, and they're doing actually a pretty good job of it. They're doing a much better job of selling disclosure and the movement to a, a small, very small audience, but still one that has money and is, is putting, obviously, money into them, than anybody else I can think of in sort of the 10 or 20 years previously. I mean, maybe the Roswell. Maybe, and But they've co-opted the Roswell thing. They've somehow taken all these conspiracy elements of the UFO thing over the years, including crash saucers and Roswell, all the work that people like Stan Friedman, Kevin Randall, and even going back to James McDonald, and even Donald Keogh, all the work that those people do. Somehow Bassett and his crowd have co-opted it, worked it into the disclosure. Um, well, that's their evidence. Narrative. That's their evidence. Well, it's not just their evidence. It's It's kind of like, you know, sort of, the foundation that they built their own movement on, and they were smarter. Again, I come back and I say, these guys were Internet savvy, relatively speaking to, say, Uncle Stan, who is not Internet savvy. How dare you? But, well, he's not. I know, I'm listening. But, but they took the work of these older guys, mostly guys, and they co-opted it and turned it into something that they could use for their own purposes. I Again, I admire it. I'm a student of revolutionary history. I admire that kind of stuff. It's, I mean, it's revolutionary history on a really penny-ante, low-scale, nobody-cares kind of thing, which is ufology and disclosure. But within the context of that little subculture, it is pretty impressive. So that's my take on the citizens' hearing on disclosure. I I mean, kudos to Stephen Bassett. He's um, he's an entertainment within his subculture. He's an enter he's the guy. I mean, he's the guy, or he's certainly one of the top guys. Well, he did put on a big show, and I agree with you there. It was pretty impressive, and I agree with you on whether it would make much difference. I do disagree, though, and Vale's raising the issue too. I I used to think that the 
that the people of ufology would be, like, completely erased. But I, I do think that they're going to get some kind of credit. Maybe not the disclosure people, but the people that you mentioned earlier, like the James McDonald's and the Stans and people like that. You know, the researchers who were, like, sort of the early part of it all. Remember, we're 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 sort of saying that all of this stuff is actually true, and I don't right. believe any of it is. Right. So working on that assumption, the only ones that I can think of that anybody would remember – and they would be as footnotes. It, because what would happen is if you disclose the alien agenda, their aliens are here and blah, 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 all that, the world changes. We will have far more important things. We don't know what would come after that, no matter what Rich Dolan and, and Bryce Sable write in their book um, after Disclosure, which I thought was a ridiculous book because it basically sounded like, you know, Disclosure more or less amounts to we're changing political parties. So what happens after the Republicans get elected instead of Democrats? Oh well, a few things change. No, you're not changing political parties. You're not. You're changing social systems. You're admitting. You would be saying there's an entirely different species that's smarter than us, more advanced than us. It, w- it, it would be the equivalent of the Europeans showing up in North America and what happened to the American Indians. That's the model that you need to look at. And in case anybody's not familiar with that model, it doesn't end well. <laughs> you know, for the American Indians and for a lot of the Europeans, either it didn't really end well. So it's a complete shift in everything that we are that would be coming. In that, I don't think there's going to be a lot of. I don't think there any of these guys are going to be remembered because we'll be too busy looking forward and trying to figure out what's coming in the future. I, I don't think Tom Cruise is going to be really remembered either. So if it makes Stan and those folks feel any better, I, you know, I'm pretty sure that Miley Cyrus isn't going to be getting much airtime if there was ever disclosure. We will have bigger fish to fry. And everything that has come before, and I'm not just talking about ufology, I'm talking about human history. Everything that has come before will be reassessed, will be, including like Jesus. I mean, you can go down the list of all the things that we either worship or we think are important. All of that stuff is going to be reassessed. Big things like religion and politics and our own idea of who we are and our place in the universe. I'm pretty sure that who gets the credit for coming up with the disclosure movement or or maybe something like that, that's not going to be one of those things that anybody cares about because we won't have time to care about it. And it won't be important. So, uh, yeah, I but I, talk, I, you're, I don't know. I think we're all I think we're on different wavelengths on that. Just because I well, think that I see that Vale is writing in the chat form, right, but Paul, why do people care about World War Two or Civil War reenactments? Well for Civil War reenactments Those are wars. I, like that's I'd, completely I'd say that they care about it because they're crazy. I mean people are dressing up in Confederate soldiers hundred and fifty years later uh, will never understand why they do that. But why do people care about history? Well they do, but we've you would I don't think it's kind of like when people say you can travel and they just toss it off. It's like, ah, you know, how hard? We're almost there. How hard can it be to travel to Zeta Reticuli or the nearest star system? What is it, Proxima Centauri? Sure. Or Alpha Centauri? Absolutely. I mean, it's it's kind of like going down to the corner store to get bread, right? No, no, it's not. It's actually a massive journey that we can't even begin to contemplate through through you know vast swaths of space that our mind can't even begin to imagine to get to the nearest one, much less like 50 year, light years away or 100 light years away. We can't we can't even get on Mars. Well, we can put a rover on Mars. We we haven't left our own solar system except for Voyager, and it took 30 years for it to get where it's going. I mean, everything has to be in perspective. So World War II, tremendously important, you know, sort of shook things up. And yet compared to disclosing that we're not alone in the universe and that there have been aliens visiting us and have a presence here and they're far more advanced than us, no, that's that's something an awful lot different. And I think that 
to use one of Stephen Bassett's phrases, which I don't think he really understands, it would be paradigm shifting, but not in Stephen Bassett's paradigm shifting way where he goes, well, you know, it's kind of like, um, you know, we'll have a new political system. No, we're not going to have a new political. Well, we will. We might not have any political system. Right. Well, I put it this way, right? The closest I could even, you kind of made the comparison, but the closest I would say is like, this would be sort of like a Jesus moment, you know? For the human well, exactly. So and I'm reading but, your, I'm reading me, your chat form, and I like what Red Pill Junkie says, which is the disclosure movement rests on the argument that nation states and bureaucratic governments will always be relevant. Our latest history shows that this may not be the case at all, and that's with our, our own history. And I think he's absolutely right. Imagine what happens when aliens show up. Uh, it's it's a it's a ridiculous argument, I guess, in one sense to have. I mean, fine if if, if folks out there think that Stan Friedman will have a place in the history books, then that's great. I just don't think he will. He, he might have, if there are books, if there are even online or whatever form of information transmission we have, books, e-books, whatever, you know, mind melds, who knows, then yeah, maybe he maybe he has a place as a very, 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 very minor figure within the big history of the big change, because sometimes those figures do have a place. Right. It's like, were, I don't know anyone who, I don't know, it would be, people it who would are be so part small. of like the history of geology or something, but they're in the, you know, people somehow keep track of that stuff. So well, a small someone group would. of people do. Right. But, yeah, I, I suppose somebody would. But well, we're not talking about that. We're talk, What I was saying is all of these people, whatever relevance they have in the broader society, will disappear immediately. They, I've heard them. I've heard them actually say when this – I'm not kidding. No, I, happens, I agree with that. I mean, when, dis, when disclosure happens, they will come to us because we're the ones with the oh. knowledge. That's the point I was making. Oh. No, they're not. Right, they're okay. going to Michio yeah. Kaku and – they're, they're going to go yeah. to the Pope and whoever else within all of these different things that matter to us, religion, science, politics. They're going to go to those people. They're not coming to stand. So that's that's the point I was making. Okay. I think we're I think, I think we're, his- our wavelengths have reunited now. So Right. Will <laughs> history remember them as a footnote? Yes, a few of them. Some of them would be remembered in the same way that I guess – you know, um, some history books remember Alexandra Kollontai or something from the. Go ahead, look it up, folks. From the yeah, Russian no one knows who that is, Paul. Come I on. do. People, people, that subculture that studies the Soviet Revolution does. But again, the vast majority of people, even within Russia today, would have no idea who she was. Um, but they did back then. I didn't even know it was a woman. People. I thought I thought yeah. it was a man. There you go. Well, maybe it was, but I've seen pictures, and she's kind of cute, actually, for a psychopathic communist revolutionary. Well, nobody's perfect. Yeah, exactly. Well, you make the Anywho. point, though. It's kind of interesting. We we are having this like hypothetical argument over something that you don't think actually is even like a possibility. That it's not even. Well, it's it, awesome, isn't it? What's it's that? Like most amazing. It's awesome. You can just have an argument over something I don't even believe in. But if it does happen, so it's that's kind of what I do for a living. You create you know fictional worlds and then imagine what would happen in them, and. Um, you know, to get back, last word on this disclosure thing, because I briefly mentioned Dolan's book, which he wrote with Bryce Sable after disclosure. I don't have a problem with them writing the book. I actually think it's an interesting exercise, whether you believe the aliens are here, whether we might meet them in 50 years or whatever. It doesn't matter. It's an interesting exercise to imagine what the world, what would happen if we did make contact with an extraterrestrial civilization that was more advanced than we were, even if it was just by radio waves, because I think that would have... Obviously, not necessarily the immediate effect of seeing spaceships flying over our our houses, like in Independence Day, but it would still have an effect. It would force us to reorientate our view of the world. Fine. And the problem I had with the book was it was just so dull and so unimaginative. 
and I find a lot of that is you asked me what I think of my my sort of UFO thing. Here's my UFO thing over the last year. I I occasionally go on websites less than I used to, and I just kind of take a look and see what people are writing, and I just find it so unimaginative, um, and it's kind of really you know disappointing, I guess, because there used to be, and I'm spoiled because my friends are Nick Redfern, Greg Bishop and the late Mac Tonys, and a guy like Aaron Gullius, and you, you were all very imaginative people. Way out, have no problem sitting down and going, hey, let's just imagine. And yet most of the people I find talking about it are so rooted in some kind of 1950s science fiction narrative for what must be happening that I sort of tuned, I kind of tuned out. I don't really pay much attention to it anymore, other than maybe talking to Greg or you, or listening to your show occasionally when a, a, an interesting guest would come on, like Greg, uh, people who are going to go outside the proverbial box. But I find most people, you know, took a look outside the box and went, ooh, it's scary out there, so let's stay in the box. Yeah, that's fair. They don't want to really – it's too much work to work outside the box. So well, Sure, and, you know, you get radio shows popping up that you, you would say, well, look, there's a lot of interesting people out there, right? There's a lot of people you could talk to, younger people. Um, I can name a bunch of them. I'd start with Mac if he was still alive, but sadly he isn't. But there's people in their 30s and 40s, which I consider younger compared to the 50s, 60s, and 70s. So you you could be talking to those people, right? And yet most of – and on the podcasts, you can find those people, some of the good podcasts. But on most of the mainstream, and I in quotation marks, but the bigger radio shows, shall we say, you don't find very many of them. Or if you do – um, well, you just don't find very many of them. So look, there's a radio show that's coming back this week. I'm not going to name it. But the guests are literally like it's time-traveled in Marty McFly's spaceship back or DeLorean back to 1998. It's Jonathan Reed, Stephen Greer, Richard Hoagland. It's like the last 15 years never happened. And that's kind of what I look at when I see ufology. The same people. Roswell. Everyone's, I mean, you've got the dream team talking about Roswell. Roswell's still the thing that people talk about. How, what? How did that happen? Is there nothing new? And even in my own film, when I did Best Evidence, um, and this might have been the turning point for me, because when I did Best Evidence, you know, I polled a lot of these uh, UFO researchers and stuff, and said, okay, what are the best cases, right? And um, the, the most recent one that made the film was in 1996, a case that has now been, as far as I'm concerned, answered, um, uh, which was the 1996 Yukon sighting in northern Canada. But that was it. I'm just talking about the year. The most recent case was actually 10 years old. Most of the cases in that film that people considered the best cases were from the 1950s, uh, one or two from the 70s. Tehran was the 70s. Skylab was the 70s. And Rendlesham was 1980. So really 30 years ago. And there's and it's almost as if nothing new had happened. And obviously there have been some new things. The Phoenix Lights, which I don't believe is a... Space aliens Nothing good, Mars, though. But, no good. That's, but it, but that's the, the point. That's the no good cl- cases. Yeah. Well, then you have to ask why, don't you? And you have to – the question that people should be asking is, okay, take the, the O'Hare case, the, the sighting in the O'Hare airport several years ago. Where are the photos? Lance Moody and other skeptics make a very good point. I get why if you're in 1950, it might be hard to have a photo of a UFO. If you're in 2006, 7, 8, 9, everyone's got a cell phone, where are the good photos? Where, I mean, shouldn't we be seeing them if if they are what people say they are, which is, some people say they are, which is, you know, nuts and bolts, physical alien spacecraft from Zeta Reticuli, then 
we should be able to get photos of them because if people are seeing them, they have cell phones. And if it, so, to me that indicates let's we need to be more imaginative. I think there is something to this, but I don't. Everything about it screams it is not aliens from Zeta Reticuli. To me, everything about it screams the kind of thing that maybe Nick Redfern would talk about. That it that it's it's much more. Or Jacques Vallée talked about. There's a guy who was forward thinking 40 years ago, and he's still fresh today. It's like listening to the Beatles. Jacques Vallée is the Beatles of ufology because it's still fresh. And these other guys, they're you know the grassroots of ufology or whatever band from the 60s you can find. <laughs> I like the grassroots movement. Yeah. Yeah. I have no disagreement with you there. Ufology's gotten really stagnant. There's nothing really exciting going on. I wonder if the disclosure thing's part of the reason. It's like they've taken all the resources and the interest away and moved it towards an activism end rather than a research end. But who knows? Well, yeah, and they and they jumped the shark. And you should monitor your chat form because there seem to be a lot of good questions there. But there's um, they jumped the shark. They They reached a conclusion which they had reached anyway years before. So you hear Stephen Bassett, not to get hung up on Bassett, but we this is it. We're going old school. This is this might be the last interview we ever do, Tim, because we are coming full circle. It is like our trilogy is over. This is the Dark Knight Rises of Tim Benal and Paul Kimball. Oh, I started God. out bashing Disclosure. We will close the trilogy, which was actually about eight shows, but we'll close the trilogy by talking about Disclosure. But Bassett's always going, it's not about lights on the sky. It's about you know boots on, or not boots on the ground, sorry, lies on the ground. Lies on the ground, yes. Yeah. And that, no, it's about lights in the sky, Steve. It's about lights in the sky because you don't know what those lights are. Right. I think this is what you mean by they've jumped the shark. You're saying that they've already jumped to the conclusion without actually getting, without doing the math. So they're talking a language that I just don't speak. And the vast majority of people don't speak outside ufology. And even within ufology, an increasing number of people don't speak that language. Right. But right. they don't but they don't care. They're happy speaking their language. And they want they're almost like, you know, this will be an example probably lost on anyone outside of Canada, but they're like Quebecers, some Quebecers, the no. ones who want to separate from Canada. They it's all we have to protect the French language. We can't so they become more insular. They become more nationalistic. They become more us. They erect walls and everything to try and protect this one thing that they think defines them. And in doing so, they wind up not only cutting themselves off from the rest of the world and from new ideas and, and that sort of thing, but actually undermining the very cause that they're seeking to to embrace, which should be moving forward. And the same thing is true with the UFO stuff. You know, uh, if I'd be much more interested in the disclosure people well, probably not, but at least I'd be more amenable to listening to them if they said, we think the government knows more about the UFO phenomenon than it's telling. We don't know what that is because we haven't seen the documents that we believe that they have. But we would like full disclosure of everything the United States government and every other government has about the UFO phenomenon. Everything. And so we can figure it out. With the yeah. caveat that so we can figure this out. Not and don't get, And don't give it to us. Give it to the National Academy of Sciences. Just, We're just happy release it too. to everybody. Just I don't, yeah. we don't need every you know, we don't need them to go handing it to some people we don't even know. That's how we got right. the Condon report. Well, no. I mean, I kind of yeah, I kind of, the Condon report sort of makes sense, although the po- politics behind it. And there are some interesting cases in there. But um yeah, I've changed my opinion on Edward Condon a bit. He's he's not the arch villain I used to think he was. He's just a lesser villain, I guess. But, 
you know, it's, yeah, like that's the kind of disclosure that if you if you really wanted to talk about, that would be interesting. I still don't really think that the government has a whole lot because I don't think they know much. But they might have reports that they haven't released about things that they can't explain. That I'm willing to entertain. That the government, in this case, we'll talk about the American government, has has reports of these of things in the sky, whatever you want to call them. I'm not even going to call them objects, but reports of things in the sky that people see or experience or whatever. Frankly, I think they probably would have those reports of things on the ground. And I would approach it like this. I would it'd be like looking at the Catholic Church, the early Catholic Church, and saying, "Look, we want you to release all the Gospels, not just the four that you put in the Bible over a period of centuries. That you kind of, we want you to release everything. Open the Vatican archives, and maybe there's nothing there. And if there isn't," fine, then we'll know. But let us in. Let us see what's in there. Let us see the early Gospels. Let us see everything that they wrote, that everyone wrote. Not just Luke, Mark, John, and the other guy, whose name I always forget. Matthew. There you go. One of my nephews is named Matthew. So, not just those four Gospels. Let us see all of it. That's what I'd say about UFO disclosure. Let us see everything. And if you've got nothing to hide, well, then let us see it. And we'll judge for ourselves what it means. Because we're grown-ups. That's the disclosure they should be pushing for, they might actually get that. You never know. What they're pushing for, unfortunately, though, is we know it's aliens from Zeta Reticuli. We know you're in league with them. You're probably developing yeah, secret I mean, We want weapons. you to admit it or something. And, yeah, we basically want you to admit it, resign, change the entire system, <laughs> yeah. and, you know, show us Zorg. And then Zorg comes up. Yeah, like no one ever goes to their boss and is like, yeah, I think you're doing a, a crappy job, so I want you to, you know... You should just quit. It's, it's like it doesn't work that way. So yeah. Now before, well, let me just cut in here because I I gotta sure. do a service to my friend Smiles Lewis because uh, I want to get a couple plugs in here because I'm gonna be on his show tomorrow night, Wednesday night, September 18th at 8 p.m. Eastern, and you can find out more about that at anomalyradio.com. So I forgot to plug it last time, so I'll make sure I get a few plugs in there for him. You know how it is. Sorry, I tuned out there for a second. What was that? I'm not surprised. And for the record, I am tracking the chat room, but it's going very fast. So no, I, I'm just I, kidding. Okay. There's some good questions. There's some strange ones in there, you know. But I, I'm the straw that stirs the drink, as they say. So i got to keep it all moving. Somewhere along the way, further back in the chat room, did you just say you're the straw that stirs the... Oh, my. Yeah. Somewhere... So that's you. the Arch Red Sox fan made a Yankees reference, compared himself to the Arch... Yankee, uh, terrible, terrible Tim. You should be drummed out of Beantown. Please. So, um, yeah, somebody, <laughs> somebody asked, you know, what what theory do I embrace? Well, um, for the UFO phenomenon. Well, I'd say go listen to the last show I did with Tim because it's it's kind of what I talked about in my book. Yeah, actually, we we get into the whole thing there, the art experiment theory. Yeah, well, leaving aside the art experiment theory, I think at the end of the day we're dealing with um, one intelligence. If we're dealing with anything, then we're dealing with one intelligence that presents itself itself to us in many different guises over a very long period of time, all of human history. So in you know, it might have been reports of dragons or it might have been people in the eighteenth century, like the evangelicals that I studied uh when I was in college who would report intense Spiritual experiences, very intense, wrapped up in the spirit, ravished by uh, ravished by the spirit, wrapped up in God, you know, lights, all that kind of stuff. And today, maybe we see things in the sky or we experience them in our own lives, but they manifest in different ways. And, you know, I think when I was out ghost, in quotation marks, hunting 
although really I wouldn't even say investigating. I was just out looking for a good time um, and some interesting interesting adventures. And, you know, I was doing a TV series. Some interesting things happened. I saw some things. I experienced some things that were um, strange and scary. Uh, it's probably scary because I didn't completely understand them. I still don't understand them. I had that run I talk about in the book, that run of synchronicities that I noticed. And as Greg Bishop will often say, you know, you you they're always there. You just don't always notice them. But for whatever reason, sometimes you you know you notice them. So I had this run of synchronicities that I found. Of all the things I wrote about in the book, that might actually be the most interesting one to me as I think about it now. Although the shadow guy in Chesky Krumlov in the Czech Republic was interesting at the time. Um, because, you know, you, you there's so many things out there. There's uh, When I was thinking about what I would talk to you about when I came on the show, because I thought, what could Tim and I could possibly talk about? Because we've talked for hours and hours on the air over the years. So what else, you know, what's left? And And I kind of thought, well, maybe it's go back to this idea of I think we can all experience it, whatever it is, whatever this intelligence is and we can debate as we did in our last show for hours and i frightened you by saying it's some sort of communal communistic intelligence that will eat your soul or whatever yeah i'll never get on board with that you commie (laughs) they really really scared you but (laughs) i suppose it doesn't matter does it what i would say is if you assume that something is interacting with us then um buy as i i like to use the metaphor buy the the ticket to the movie theater and go in and you might get the Blair Witch Project, or you might get a you know Green Lantern. God forbid you should get Green Lantern. Yeah, it's a terrible. Movie. Or yeah, it was horrible. Or you might get um, you know a Jennifer Aniston movie, whatever. Or you might get the The Godfather too. It it all depends. But you have to actually sort of embrace it, and that gets back to the whole spiritual thing. I've studied enough um, religious figures and people who claim to have had encounters with God. You know these spiritual experiences and talk to many of them in the modern era, to know that these were people that were, in some sense or another, looking for it. They opened themselves up to it. And somebody just asked uh, Chris Pineo, Pineo? Um, did Pineo. Kyle Wagner, Pineo, um, did Kyle Wagner do exorcisms, Paul? And Kyle Wagner's uh, a minister, he's an Anglican minister, which would be an Episcopalian for you Yankees, um, an Anglican minister friend of mine up here who... I interviewed on my own podcast a couple weeks ago, and we talked. He he claims, and I believe him, to have had a, a spiritual experience, or at least what he interprets as a spiritual experience that led him to become a minister. And I talk about my own when I was doing my still unfinished graduate degree in history. My thesis, advi- which was on evangelicalism, my thesis advisor was very much a, um, a born again Christian, so he would never push it on me, um, but we would often talk, go into his office, talk about. Um, what I was doing in the subject, but every now and then the conversation would drift around to, so, you know, just religion. And there was one time sitting in my office when we were really drilling down into it. We were really having a very frank discussion about, because my own grandfather was a Reformed Baptist minister. It kind of runs in my family, too, some segments of my family. And I actually started to feel different, like something was washing over me you know, kind of a tingling sensation and lightheaded. And I had eaten and, you know, none of those things. And I thought, I remember thinking, as I, I've never talked about this before until I, publicly until I talked to Kyle. And I, I remember thinking, you know, was this it? Was this my ticket? Was there somebody trying to sell me a ticket? Which is to say, you can have the experience. This is This is your moment. You can experience, I'm the intelligence. You've kind of, by talking to this guy, Dr. Kiesekamp, your conversation has led me to believe that you've opened yourself up to the experience. Here it comes. 
And I kind of looked at the, you know, if you're in a movie theater, I kind of looked at the movies that were playing, and I went, ah, I'm going to go home and watch, you know, Storage Wars. And so I, I, I literally repelled it. I went, no, 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 no. I remember thinking, I'm not ready for this. Whatever this is, I'm not ready for this. Wow. And Yeah. And so who knows? But I think, and as I asked Kyle, I said, look, that's not the only ticket invitation I'm ever going to get, is it? Oh, because yeah. I'd like to, you're I'd like you're to out think, of luck, man. You know, yeah, purgatory for Paul. <laughs> and he said, he said, no, no, you can you can go back in. And then I thought, well, when I was ghost hunting, maybe I, I got I encountered the same thing, but in different ways. Maybe just because I more I was more open to it. But the the point is, I think you have to go out there and open yourself up to it. And sure, why do people who go out in the desert on UFO um, sort of sky watching things? oftentimes report seeing UFOs. And I'm not talking about Greer's crazy people who are watching balloons that he's prearranged and he's lighting in the sky. But, you know, people who go out in the desert, two reasons. One, you're more likely to see anything in the sky out in the desert than you are in New York or Boston because of the, the lighting. But two, maybe they're seeing something because they're actually going out there and opening themselves up to it. And so whatever's out there chooses to communicate back in some way with them. And I think that's that's where we should be looking. And in that sense, all of us can become paranormal researchers, yes? Because we don't have to listen, no offense, to Stan Friedman tell us what's what, or Kevin Randall, or me, or you, because we can all go out and try and experience it ourselves. And that's the kind of thing that Greg and Nick and Mac and I and a number of others have been over the last few years, and those guys probably longer than I was, trying to encourage people to do. And um, and sort of embrace the experience. And last word, I do want to answer um, Chris's question about did Kyle ever do exorcisms? Uh, no, uh, Chris, he didn't. I actually know who did. Um, doesn't do him anymore. But um, Kyle wants to, and he's sort of in training, I guess, to do that. He wrote his thesis on the history of exorcisms, but he's never actually done one as far as I know himself. But I do know the guy who did, um, and he's uh, the father of a very good friend of mine, actually. So I was aware of this exorcist thing here in Nova Scotia, the Anglican Church doing exorcisms, you know, 30 years ago. Why, is this like it's big just news never, all of a sudden? No, it's just never talked about. But because I knew Kyle had done his thesis on exorcisms, he had an interest in it, because I had an interest in it and some knowledge of it, I just kind of asked him about it when I did the interview. I mean, it's no news. It's just no. the church doesn't talk about it, really. Um, anymore. None yeah. of the churches do. I think and, I met uh, Kyle uh, when I visited. You did, him. right. Oak yeah. Island, of course. Yeah, yeah. What's he going on with Oak Island? Minister. Do you have any information on that? It's really out of left field, but uh, I, I'm No, I mean, they've much. closed down. The festival doesn't happen anymore. And um, you might remember from 2007, the Michigan guys, I guess, bought it. Yeah. And so they were going to do a bunch of research or whatever. And I, I asked Kyle about it, and I don't think he's involved anymore. But he said there's really nothing to be involved in. It's kind of sort of, as often happens with Oak Island, people fighting over the island and the alleged treasure that they believe is down there. And they'd be much. They you want to know how to make your money on Oak Island because it's a lovely location. Build condos and vacation homes there and put a hotel there. Yeah, remember that hotel? That was amazing. Yeah, well, put one of those on Oak Island because the hotel is actually not on the island itself. But they've oh, never that would be a island. great idea. Yeah, yeah, that's how you make your money. Sure, you turn it into a tourist destination. If you can build some theme ride down into the ground, you know, search for treasure roller coaster or something, well, more all the better. But no, you know, it's it, there's nothing new going on in Oak Island. I would want to do that like immediately. That sounds awesome. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, well, it's it's. Uh, 
Yeah, there was something else I was going to ask you about Oak Island, but now I forget what it was. So uh, that was That's just an bad. amazing I, weekend. I, oh, I know what it was. Do you remember the? I know very little about Oak Island, by the way, other than what every Nova Scotian knows. So, but go ahead. That's that's all I need to know. No, uh, oh, okay, fine. Now, do you remember? Um, this is the weird part. Have you been you've been following the Fukushima thing, right? Yes. They're talking about building like an ice wall underground to fix the leak somehow. And I think they're talking about the same thing they were talking about doing at Oak Island at that conference. Yeah, I don't know because I can't remember what they were talking about doing at Oak Island. And I don't think it's to fix the leak. I understand what you're saying, but it's more to contain the leak. Um, And I, you know, honestly, I've read that in news reports. I have no idea what that's about. All I know is, um, you know, do something, guys. Because you know, it's leaking radioactive bilge into the Pacific Ocean, which can't be a good thing. So, um, yeah, probably not. But I mean, they just spilled like almost fifteen hundred gallons of molasses in Hawaii. So, you know, hmm. I don't know Nuclear what's going radiation on. on one hand, molasses on the other hand. <laughs> well, what I'm saying is they're going to meet in the middle of the Pacific Ocean. God only oh. knows what's going to happen then. A giant molasses monster, kind of like the Stay Puft Marshmallow Man. Yeah, like a radioactive molasses creature. Yeah, like the tar creature from that Star Trek Next Generation episode that killed Tasha Yar. That's really off off my radar. I'm pretty sure there's a couple of Star Trek fans listening that know exactly what I'm talking about. The the tar creature. Imagine the tar creature as the molasses creature. Or, as Vale just put, nuclear gingerbread. Which is, yeah, that's kind of funny too. A nuclear gingerbread man. Scary stuff. I like the people in your chat form. They're funny. There's some good stuff coming out of there. <laughs> that They're going fast in there tonight. Uh, Hillbilly wants to know if you have any thoughts on Edgar Casey, which is kind of interesting because uh, that's something we've never even talked about. Um, you know, Casey, and then beyond that, uh, psychic sort of mindset in general. What, what are your thoughts on that? Not Casey in particular. Um, I know who he is. Uh, or rather, um, who he was. I've never really studied him, so uh, I couldn't offer an opinion on him one way or another that would be worth anything. On the question of psychics in general, or remote viewing in general, um, you know, I think 99.9% of psychic alleged psychics that you run across are frauds, crooks, hoaxers, hucksters, whatever. Do I believe, though, that people have the potential for psychic abilities Absolutely. Uh, Anyone who talks to researchers like Dean Radin, who looks at the research that they've done, can't, any honest person, I think, can't do that and walk away and say, there's nothing here. Now, you might walk away and say, I'm not sure what's here. There might be nothing here. Maybe this doesn't lead anywhere. But it's worth looking at in greater detail because there seems to be something here. And it's, it's also that question of, you know, we don't understand so much – there's so much we don't understand about ourselves, like how our own mind works. Well, we we don't understand where we go after death, for instance. Maybe there is something beyond this. Even – who knows? There's right. a lot we don't know. So I'm willing to believe – I'm willing to accept, it, rather, the possibility that our minds – that we are capable of doing more than we're currently capable of doing now, whether through training. So – you know, maybe it's maybe it's an ability like running. So as Dean, I interviewed Dean on my podcast, uh, what, two months ago, I guess, and he said, look, imagine Olympic track athletes. Everybody, unless you're handicapped, anybody who can walk can run. Now, my mom can't run very fast, you know, because yeah. she's 
she's getting on in years. Um, Usain Bolt is the fastest man on the planet. There's a there's a long there's there's a big gap between the two. So they're both capable of doing it, but one of them does it so much better than the other to the peak of sort of human perfection. Well, okay, maybe psychic abilities work the same way. Maybe most of us are like my mom or me. I don't run very fast either, and I don't run very far. Most of us ha- have the ability to do it. I guess, you know, if I exercised more and worked out more, I could run faster. I could do more. But I could never be Usain Bolt because he has a natural talent that even without any exercise, his body type, everything about him, no matter how hard I work, him on a lazy day, without any work, and 18 donuts is going to be able to run rings around me. So if you look at it in a psychic sense, maybe I could tap into something a little bit, unless I am one of these giant psychics, which I don't think I am. But then you could run into somebody who really can. Really, he has that Usain Bolt type of ability. Yeah, they're gold medalist psychics. Exactly. I think that's possible, that some of us might be able to do it better than most of us, because that seems to be what happens with human beings, some of us are smarter than other people. Some of us are more physically gifted. And even Usain Bolt would probably make a lousy hockey player because for a whole bunch of reasons. But he has the wrong kind of the wrong body type for it. But he hasn't trained. So maybe he could train. He could learn to skate and all that sort of stuff. And maybe he could actually skate. But he would never be Bobby Orr or Wayne Gretzky because they have in that sport that natural ability. So maybe the psychic thing is a li- maybe there are many different aspects of the psychic abilities and psychic in a very broad sense. Maybe some people can tap into the future. Maybe some people can see beyond our own time. But maybe those are not the same people who can see into somebody else's mind if that ability exists. And maybe other people have the ability of telekinesis to right. move objects. So I think people look at the psychic thing and they say Everybody can do, if you're a psychic, you can maybe you can do everything. And I don't think so. I think there are the Usain Bolt psychics. I think there's the Wayne Gretzky psychic ability. These people who have mind powers. Let's call it mind powers. Like X-Men. Some of them can do one sure. thing, you know, different abilities. Yeah. Um, okay, sure, I'll, I'll kind of go with that. Well, let's, yeah, fine. Um, <laughs> not really like the X-Men, no, Tim. Yeah, most see, of them you're don't have mind back. abilities. Well, only Jean Grey and Dr. Uh, Xavier have mind abilities. But let's say no. Like, I think some of the other ones have. I don't know anything about X Men. All right. Well, then why did you use X Men? Because <laughs> each like person X-Men. has their own specific little thing. Is what I mean. Fine. You know. Okay. All right. Fair enough. But and so we. Li- it's an interesting thing, though, from a sociological thing. Why don't we pay more attention to this? Why don't I think a couple of reasons. One, I think it kind of scares us because in the same way that smart people scare us, like really smart people. Whether we admit it or not, they scare us. Because just, you look at that guy and you go, ah, that guy's a lot smarter than all of us. Crazy. What he, Some crazy powers. But physical abilities, we, we lionize physical abilities. We worship football stars. Um, you know, crazy American football, not the real football that the rest of us in the world know. You know is soccer. But whatever, it doesn't matter. It could be baseball, anything. We put these people up on a pedestal. And if you have soldiers are the same way, because it's a physical thing, by and large. We, we lionize warriors. And science geeks, it's getting a little different now that the world is changing with the technological revolution and everything. Geek, being geeky and nerdy is becoming a little cooler, a little more respectable. But generally speaking, you know, you don't hold scientists up and say, these are the people we want to be. And you don't hold really, really smart people up and say, these are the people we want to be. Otherwise, you'd elect them president, but you don't. Oh, they're too smart to want to be president, though. 
Well, there is there is that too. But I think so we explore there are I mean how much of the internet and magazines and television is devoted to dissecting last weekend in the National Football League? Tons. You I can go on my television tonight and I could probably find like there's the NFL network, there's 18 different sports channels that'll be talking about the NFL blah blah blah. And that's where the how money many, is. Right, but why? Because how many channels can I actually go on and find really intelligent conversation and research about the mind and not just even the potential of psychic abilities, but education and making us smarter and learning more and ha- and all that sort of stuff. Ah, that's touchy-feely stuff. We want to talk, ah, who wants to talk about that? We just want to smash, Hulk smash. You know what the United States is? And we all are. We're Hulk. In the superhero pantheon that you talk about, we're all Hulks because we just want to smash. We want to see things smash. Oh. Hulk smash. What we need, you know, are a few more Tony Starks. Kind of, and because Tony Stark's cool, he's he has his super suit that he invented, but he's also the smartest man on the planet, or one of them. What about we Beast? Need to make, I'm more, how about Beast? He's very, but he has a, he's a doctorate, so fine, we can meld the two. There shouldn't be one shouldn't be to the exclusion of the other. We shouldn't suddenly say, hey, forget about all the people who have physical gifts and can do these these fun things. We just want to talk to the smart people and talk about the mind, but we need to refocus and pay more attention on education on making ourselves more intelligent not not dumber and that that goes into my business the entertainment business because i have no problem showing nfl games on television but you know i think the arts and entertainment network should do more than show storage wars if it's the arts and entertainment network it should be showing classical music and theater that's originally what it was supposed to do bravo what, yeah but i mean they're beholden but to we, advertisers and things like that they can't you know but, but we don't like beholden to advertisers. They're they're beholden to a certain group. It's low hanging fruit. That's what they're beholden to. The uh, entertainment just, no, they're just interested in making money. I mean, it's not. They're, they're... Well, that's the low. That's the low hanging fruit, though, Tim. Sure, you can make money off of things that are already making you money, but that's not how great innovation has ever been done in history. Great innovators in history are the people who actually say, you know what, that's easy. Let's try and make money. If that's the way you want to look at it, let's try and do something. You can make money and still be socially responsible, too, and talk and fulfill a niche. I'm not saying every network has to do it. I'm not saying that ABC suddenly has to become the mind channel. But there are channels, and I, I, I'll only talk about Canada here. When you get a, a broadcast license in Canada, you are the CRTC, which is our FCC, says, in, you know, like, take Vision TV, which is supposedly our spiritual channel. Here's your license. The condition of license is you're supposed to broadcast a certain type of programming, religious, faith-based, spiritual, because we believe there is a, you've told us there is a need for this, so we're going to be a license. You can have a TV channel because you said that's the audience you want to broadcast to. And then as soon as they get that license, they chuck that out the window and they start airing whatever they want because they want to air what they think is going to sell. Well, then you'll never that's, – that's just wrong because then you've got nothing. It's like Bruce Springsteen, 57 channels but nothing on. They're all saying the same thing. They're all – you get Law & Order reruns on Bravo. What the heck are Law & Order reruns on Bravo? Because I can watch Law & Order reruns on you know the mainstream channels. On Bravo, I want to see Mozart. On Bravo, I want to see Shakespeare. And on Bravo, I want to see new drama, and I want to see new classical music, and I want to see jazz and blues, all of those things that I don't hear or see anywhere else, because those things should have a home. And that's, but <laughs> we, live in, we live in the Hulk universe. Right. Hulk I'm universe laughing because just, just like you're, you're, yeah. 
your desires are are not going to be fulfilled. I don't think there's some niche channels though. We're getting way off of the beaten path, but that's what a jam session is. But there's some but niche channels that you can that there are. This is like what a, you get for not having a plan. I said I, I'm enjoying this. Oh, I go uh, crazy. <laughs> there's some niche channels that have sciencey shows and artisticy shows, but there's only you know artisticy. I think I just invented that word, but there's there's only like, like three that. or four. There's only three or four of them. Yeah, PBS, Baruti says. So, you know, I just think I that... Know. We it, dumb it down. I mean, we play to the lowest common denominator in society, and I think, and I speak only for my own industry now, because we're the worst offenders, the entertainment industry. We are the worst, because we're the ones who could change the conversation, and we choose not to. So people make films... That are you know more and more we get Michael Bay type films and I have no problem with the odd Michael Bay type film fine blockbusters are great monsters blowing up the world no problem there's a, there's a place for everything I don't want to remove anything I just want to make sure that the other things that actually could do some good have a place at the table too and instead they are being drowned out of the conversation and to take us back to the paranormal which is where we started from that's what's happening with conversations like Dean Radin and these people who are looking into the possibility of psychics and psychic abilities, that people who are looking, even within ufology, you know what the Hulk is in ufology? It's Roswell. Rrr, crash flying saucers, Hulk smash, easy, easy understand, Mongo-like. I, you know, the, the tough stuff is Jacques Vallée or Mac Tonys or the people who are smart and want to say, we don't know what it is, but here's eight ideas. Let's have a let's have a gab fest about what, and let's just let's blow some ideas. I mean, I love the show I did with you uh, to talk about the other side of truth book because we spent three hours just doing a thought experiment kind of thing, back and forth, back and forth. Me scaring you, you know. <laughs> I wasn't scared. I was disgusted. You were scared. Your crazy talk about communist afterlife. No, go listen to the show, folks. Go listen to the show. You'll actually hear Tim say, "You're frightening me." Uh, listen to the show. You actually said this is scary. This I don't. I can't. This scares me. I don't listen to that talking, show. When I was talking about the sort of the idea of us all being part interrelated and merging into this communal great link kind of thing, whatever. But even if I'm wrong, and I probably am, just talking in that way about those ideas, ideas shouldn't scare people. But we look at the political discourse; it's become black and white. We look at everything; it's black and white. You know, you have to hate the other guy. You can't. You don't want any new ideas except your own. It's my team or no team. I can't possibly cheer for the other guy. And that's the society that. And then you step back and you go, are, whose interest does it serve to have us think like that? And it serves the interests of the one percent, right? The people that have the power, the people that, and those are the people, incidentally, that control the military, that control the corporate infrastructure, that control the political infrastructure, and control the entertainment industry. So when you see this stuff coming down the pike, when you watch television, when you see nonstop NFL. You know, it is bread and circuses to distract us and to and to make us. I you know, it might not be. It's not a conscious conspiracy, although part of me thinks it is. Some of it, I think, is. But they don't want us thinking. They don't want us talking. It's like Roger Waters with the wall. They don't want us educated. Oh, they want us educated enough so that we can fulfill the functions that keep society moving. So I get to be a lawyer. This guy gets to be a doctor. But we don't actually want you to think. We just want you to do what you're trained to do. So universities have become training grounds. They're not become a liberal arts education is people look at it and go, well, where are you going to get a job? You'd be flipping burgers at McDonald's. I got news for you. There's nothing wrong, first of all, with flipping burgers. And secondly, 
it's I actually think flipping burgers at McDonald's and being able to go home and have the ability to have a rational reason conversation with imagination with your friends is better than being able to be a, a $2 million a year lawyer getting Wall Street criminals off of the non-existent charges that they've never been charged with for ruining the economy. And then, and, but then going home and kind of just sitting in front of your television and watching football or whatever, or drinking wine and hanging out with the beautiful people. But that's the society we have. You're listening to Banal of America Audio. Okay, well, that, that, that's a good, that kind of brings me around here to something I, I talked about with Zanian and kind of butchered the analogy, but you're, you're sort of in the same zone of what I was talking about at the time, and that was just sort of how, and I think it really can be applied to the UFO disclosure people specifically, but maybe the paranormal people in general, and even people like you're talking about, in a sense. Like, you, you're privileged, though, to be able to ponder these problems. Most people aren't. You know, they have real problems, you know. I heard you say that on Vaney's show, um, the show you did with Vaney, because I, I listened to some of it, and I heard the bit where you said um, UFOs are a white people's problem. Is that, I, I got Essentially, that right. yeah, more of a class yeah. thing. Than, yes, uh, I, I actually appreci- I appreciated your class analysis being a socialist. I thought, hmm, Tim's going a little Marxist on everybody tonight. Very nice. You didn't take it far enough, but still. Well, that's where, I, that's where I pick up the ball tonight to keep keep it going. It's a multi-play down. But... but to me, that's a huge cop-out. Yes, people have... I mean, we all have problems, Tim. I'm not some rich guy, even if I was a rich guy. That's the problem. People think like that, and they go, you know, the poor people or the middle class, they have the, the grind. They have to pay attention to the grind. And again, that's the way they want you to think. They want you to think, like, just nose down, keep moving forward, never look to either side, never to think outside, because you've got problems, right? And you've got to focus on your problems. Well, it would be a cop-out if it wasn't true. <laughs> well, but it point. isn't. But, but it isn't true because if we, literally, if we all stopped, I mean, this is getting into kind of pie in the sky, naive Nirvana type. Right, you're talking about it's like what? you know a massive walkout on on, on everybody's job on the planet because because we isn't want A and E to show fucking you know well, no that's ballet the or whatever of the disease. All revolutions, you know why there will never be a revolution? I mean, there used to be revolutions. People would, the, whether you agreed with it or not, the Soviet Revolution, the American Revolution, the French Revolution, whether you agreed with any particular revolution's political ideology that went into it and then came out of it, which are often two different things, people would stand up for whatever it is they were they believed in and they would fight for it. They would, they literally would stop. So you would see people in Tsarist Russia stop. They stopped doing what they, what they were told to do, what they had been trained to do, and they went out in the streets and they protested, and millions died. In the American Revolution, they poured tea into the harbor, and they stopped doing what they were being told to do all throughout human history. That's how things change. And they don't always change the way that the people who stopped wanted it to change. And the changes sometimes go backwards like they did in the Soviet Union, and it gets worse for a while. But well, now we're talking his- about real problems compared to, like, but the, the other part of it is it's like these are... In a way, when the, like people are being burdened with soft problems in, but in those, some respects. Those, but the real problem at the core of it all has always been the question of human dignity and the human condition. And that involves more than just dirty, filthy lucre. Yes, needing bread is important. No question. What's lucre? What are, you, what are you talking about? Money. Ah. Money. It's a Sex Pistols reference. Oh, dirty God. lucre. You, but, but there's more to it than just that. The idea that we should all 
be educated, that we should all work to the greatest potential that we have within ourselves, and that we should all be encouraged to think for ourselves. That's all part of it, too. It's not just about bread. Because if you're just fighting for bread, that's no different than just sitting at home and watching bread and circuses. It's the same thing. There has to be something more, and that's how revolutions start. There has to be this impetus that, and usually led by some pretty smart people. Revolutions, no matter what people say, usually are led from the top down. Because um, somebody has to be a leader. So there's people like Lenin or people like the American uh, revolutionaries. They see something out there. There's a, the, the, there's this angst. There's this this malaise. But they channel it and they they move it forward. So here we are in the current era when I think we desperately need a revolution on many different levels. You'll never see it. You'll never see it for a number of reasons. One of which is technology today that they. I mean, if, if, the, if the czarist government or the British in, in America had had drones and all the things that we have now, you never would have had those revolutions. Right. They would they, crushed, they would they would be, yeah, they already know everything that people are talking about, so they're not going to – yeah. But they don't have to because we've already given up because we, we buy the bread and circuses. We're happy with it. We don't question most people. And when I say we, this is a broad generalization, but take a look at where we are. The vast majority of people don't question. The vast majority of people – have become automatons who are, uh, you know what? Hey, it's BOA Live. Why not? I said I'd go old school. Who are wasting their lives? That are going through. If if there is a God that so many people claim to believe in and worship, if he, if he does exist and he did create us, he didn't create us for what we're doing. This this world that we've created, the society that we've created, that where we just where it's all about money and it's all about the lowest common denominator. It's all about playing your part. Right. That's not what we were created for. That's not what free will is for. And yet we have – it hasn't been taken from us so much as we've given it away. It's like the beginning of the Roman Empire. They no, I think it was like an exchange, honestly. I think like, <laughs> well, people sure. wanted sort of that like, cushy the free time. They kind of got duped into like disposable income and free time idea. Well, you know what I mean? It's like a drug. And there's a price to be paid when you get addicted to drugs. And the, the drug is that you know we're given things that entertain us, that amuse us, that make us... But we don't live a real life. There were the Situationists, a group of French philosophers in the late 1960s, uh, Guy Debord was probably the most famous one, Oh yeah, wrote about this idea that none of us live authentic lives anymore. We don't do anything. We watch other people do things. This was in the 60s. It's gotten worse. Not only do we... Know, and I, they were kind of talking like, we don't climb mountains anymore or you know, do great adventures. We watch other people do them. We... It's gotten worse. We don't even go to storage auctions anymore or cook. We watch people cook. I read on the Internet, um, somebody wrote this joke about cooking shows, and they said people spend more time watching other people cook on television than they actually do cooking themselves now. Right. And I think they're probably right. So we don't lead authentic lives, and that's not what we were intended for. And does this relate to the paranormal? I believe it absolutely does. Look at that. Let me segue back. I bring it back. I rope it back. The, seg- the, the tangent, I'm trying to pull it back to the paranormal. Because I think at the core of the paranormal is that advanced non-human intelligence, whether you call it God. It's something beyond us. And I think it would look at us and it would say, what are you doing? And so this, what I was trying to do in my book was say, all of these things, these seemingly magical things or mystical things or amazing things that it shows us in many different ways is their way or its way or whatever of trying to encourage us to get outside that rut, to understand what we could be again and to launch a revolution. 
And even if the revolution isn't all of us screaming in the streets with guns and pitchforks and whatever. A revolution uh, of thought. That's right. the only and way I, it could happen now. And yeah, and I said, look, you know, it's like 1984. Exactly. Where thinking is a revolutionary act. And one of my little catchphrases, because I spend a lot of time trying to come up with catchphrases that I can put on coffee cups, is... How's that um, going? Yeah, not too bad, actually. I'm selling a few of them on Cafe Press. Wow. Don't don't believe, don't disbelieve, think is the favorite one. But um, what is what was it? Don't uh, don't be a revolutionary. Be a revolution, because a revolutionary implies that you have to join a movement and you have to be one of those people. You know, you're in this army of people with a re- fine. No, all of us, we can all be a revolution uh, within ourselves, and then. If you actually believe that this is just part of our journey, that living in this world is just part of our journey, that there might be something beyond this, well, maybe I get a head start on that from the guy who spends all his time watching football. Maybe I, if I take that, if I become that revolution, if I, I take that further step, um, I get closer to that non-human advanced intelligence or whatever it is out there. Then you know maybe I'm closer to to being back to where we're supposed to be. If you so want a revolution, just take away the football. Look, I watch football. I don't watch as much as I used to. <laughs> no, I just mean, but, you know, <laughs> there'd be a lot yeah. more time on these people's hands, and they'd be very angry. So, <laughs> Yeah, well, uh, okay, I get what you're saying. Yeah, I suppose that's one way of doing it. In fact, throughout history, often revolutions have been have come up from the seemingly – it's not always about bread. People start fighting over things like football. You know, you take away something that they, they really, really, really think they need, but they don't actually need, and then they get all pissy about it. Funny that. Exactly. Um, anyway, now look at that. Nobody, they're all like, "What? You're not talking about UFOs anymore." Talk they didn't UFOs. say that at all in there. Uh, no, we, we do have a caller here uh, from the 203 oh. area code. So, oh, you, you no want to take a minute? Yes, absolutely. Right. There's a little. Oh, yeah. Him or her talk to you for ten minutes instead of me. I'll go get a coffee. Yeah. Well, there's a little mute. There's a little thing that says mute there, like a little question mark. But we'll try it anyway. Let's see. Let's see if they're on the air here. 203. Are you there, my friend? Tim. Hey, how you doing, pal? It's Lobo from Connecticut. Okay, how you doing, Lobo? You're live on the air here with Paul Kimball. Good What's up? Gravy. This is a Do you have a question, or are you just listening to the show via the phone? Well, I was listening to the show via the phone, but I did want to ask um, Paul uh, what his view on uh, the ideal of a collective consciousness is what is feeding all of this phenomena. Ah, is it Lobo? Yes, it's Lobo from Project Archivist. You can find out from his show, oh, projectarchivist.com. Okay. I was going to say Lobo like the DC Comics anti-hero from the 1990s, which I never really liked. <laughs> yeah. but I, li- I like this Lobo. This Lobo <laughs> seems a lot, a lot better than the other Lobo, who was frankly an unshaven, uncouth barbarian. So um, I never well, got that Lobo. But... Yeah, that actually does, does describe our Lobo, but... But they have people no. like that in Connecticut. I had no idea. I thought Connecticut, <laughs> yeah, well. this, this pristine land of church, you know, congregational churches and mowed lawns and everything, where everybody spoke in semi-British accents. It's been a while since. Not I've been this to Puerto Rican. So. Not a chance. <laughs> oh, there you, there you go. Um, the collective consciousness thing. Yeah, I'm actually. It's one of the ideas. If I was to list, you know, like my gold, silver, and bronze medal ideas that I entertain is most likely the collective consciousness is you know, the bronze medal or the silver medal. It's it's in the running. Because I, I and I talked about this in the last show that I was on with Tim when we talked about my book, and I talk about this in the book too, this idea that I think the possibility exists, you know, if you start 
I'm about to drop the word that I hate most in all the world, which is quantum. But if you start looking at the idea of quantum entanglement and things that Dean Radin and other scientists talk about, um, that we're all interrelated somehow, that we're all entangled. Well, then I think then you're looking at this idea that somewhere beyond just the here and now, beyond just the sort of physical reality that we think we know, there is this idea of a collective consciousness. So, And this is the part that really frightened Tim when I talked to him about it um, last year, this idea that we all merge. And to, to, use, a, to use a science fiction analogy, it's kind of like Odo in um, the Star Trek Deep Space Nine series where he can leave the Great Link, he becomes sort of a separate entity, but ultimately he feels the calling back into the Great Link to join with everybody else. And it's not a frightening experience. It's a wonderful experience. And then that gets into questions like, well, what is heaven? Do, do, and it's one of my favorite questions to ask, Lobo, of friends of mine who are religious, particularly the really evangelical types who think that on the day they die, they will literally show up in heaven wearing the same suit that they were wearing when they died, and Fluffy, their dog, will be waiting for them there. And it'll kind of, It's kind of like just going on a vacation to a really nice resort. And I go, no, here's what my idea of heaven would be like if it does exist. You kind of do the great link. This is our calling home. We all join back together again. And all of the ex- we're all part of the same thing. And what that thing is, for lack of a better word, is God. So not God is not... The, and Kyle and I talked about this in the podcast I did with him, this idea of the non-duality of God, that God is not a separate entity from us, we are God. We are a manif- We are all a manifestation of God. It's all. It's like we're billions and billions of teeny tiny little substrata of God, and eventually we all reunite. In fact, if if indeed we ever disunite from God, so so yeah, the collective consciousness idea. Although I'm not sure that's exactly what you were talking about, but if it is, great. Um, I I might view it in a different way than you do, but absolutely, that's I think one of the the most likely answers for what we're dealing with not only in the paranormal, but just the basic human condition. If there is anything more than just being meat robots, then I think the idea of a collective consciousness is the most likely um, possibility. All right. There's your answer, Logo. The reason, why, the reason why I bring it up is, I mean, I don't know how... There, It's not a fact of, I believe, uh, everything I read, or I'm supposed to... I'm reading this particular item at this time because it's going to change my life, or any of that bullshit, but... Um, I, I I remember as a as a, a teenager and a young adult reading a, a particular novel by uh, Clive Barker called Everville. And mm-hmm. when you went to sleep, there was a place that all souls congregated, and it was called liquidity. And that was probably the best description in literature that was perceived as sci-fi horror that I'd ever heard for what the collective consciousness would be if there was a picture to be taken of it. I mean, there's some people yeah. that are of the ilk that believe that when you do fall asleep, you do join back into the collective consciousness, and that's what the sea of quiddity was. Everybody that was sleeping all at once was all here to be able to exchange information, and it wasn't just bound to here and now. It was all consciousness, all sentient beings. Yes, and that you're still um, a little bit looking at the dualism nature, though, that we're all individuals, and that might very well be. I know I have 
um, discussions with my friend Walter Bosley, who is absolutely irrevocably against the idea that we're anything but individuals. This I, the collective consciousness. He's like, ah, that's it's communism, you crazy kid. That's what but, I say too. See, I told you yes. Walter's the man. You you people in the United States have got have been given a very skewed view of what communism actually is over the last hundred years. But that's a different conversation. <laughs> but, but even if what you're so maybe it is maybe we are all individual souls. That's possible, or maybe we are all part of one cosmic soul, if you want to call it that way. I guess um, a cosmic consciousness. There was a Canadian author in the I think the late 19th century whose name escapes me. He was writing about religion and all that stuff, but he called it a cosmic consciousness and this idea that that's what we encounter but that's also what we are the truth is i don't know but to answer your question it's absolutely one of the ideas at the top of what i think about when i stop watching football although i'll probably be watching football this weekend some good games on yeah i'm done watching football for the season already why who's your team i'm a i'm a vikings fan we suck oh god yeah Yes, yes, you oh. do. Uh, Adrian so Ponder is so pondering whether or not he's a good quarterback. <laughs> he, does, he doesn't have to ponder. I pulled the collective consciousness, and it says no. So there you go. Anything, uh, anything, anything else for Paul Lobo? No, I thank you. I'm just, I that was itching on my brain, and I, I this is the first show I've actually been able to listen to live instead of catching it the next day. All right, nice. So, so I'll plug in for your show. Uh, you can. We just released a new show. Uh, today it dropped. Uh, episode 90, I think it's 96. It's, uh, we had um, James Storr on. He's a neural psycho- uh, neural. Uh, we had him on to talk about addiction and uh, there you go. how drugs work on the brain. And, and it, it's, it's kind of my wheelhouse being a recovering addict and, and Rose, Rose Mugger uh, was an addict. So he was on the other side of the fence as I was. You know, during active addiction, I knew what it was like to be an addict, and he know he knew what it was like to try and exist with an addict. So mm. it was something that we've been trying to work on for quite a while. We finally got him on. It, I, I really enjoyed doing the show. Awesome. So where can folks find it? ProjectArchivist.com. Thanks for the plug, Tim. That's what I said. Hey. <laughs> All right. <laughs> well, right. folks, check out uh, Lobo's show there. I'll put you back on hold, Lobo, so you can keep listening if you want. Thank you. Thanks, Paul. All right, buddy. Thanks for calling Thanks, in. Thanks, Lobo. Nice talking to you. You too. All right. That was Lobo. Cool. Next, we'll get a call from Aquaman. There you go. Awesome. Yeah. Let and me give the numbers up once again. You can here. get the entire DC universe. I'm not making fun of Lobo. I thought that was great. I, that, those are the kind of questions that I like um, talking about. It, you know the kind of things that I, my friends and I talk about. So yeah, thanks, Lobo, for the question. Even though I'm making fun of your your handle. Which, if it's your real name, I apologize. Oh, no, it's, <laughs> right. not his, it's not his real name. I, we should have asked him the origins of that, but maybe next time he's on. Um, yeah. yeah, if you want to call in, folks, the number is 646-378-1868. Once again, that's 646-378-1868. So I'm sure Paul will be happy to answer any of your strange questions. I've and, actually been following the chat thing where some people are talking about the idea of a collective consciousness and you know words coming up um and dean radin and i talked about this here's the dean made the point he said look if you look at science fiction when people talk about this idea in the western world because the eastern world has a very different view of it and they're not afraid of it but in the western world because of the fear 
because it's tied into politics and it's tied into this, um, you know, the Protestant work ethic, the Calvinistic sort of Protestant way that we've designed our society, capitalism and everything. They don't want us to think in any way about a collectivist approach, whether economically or societally or spiritually. They want us to think as individuals. They want us to be Walter Bosley, where it's me, 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 and it's the dog-eat-dog, and it's a Darwinian world where survival of the fittest. And so science fiction, the entertainment industry, which is part of this you know, sort of control mechanism, plays into that. So most of the representations that you will see in science fiction, which is where you're going to see them, are negative. So it's the Borg, the collective consciousness. has to look like the Borg. It's a bad thing. The collective consciousness, um, even Odo with the Great Link, was a bad thing because they went about conquering the universe and everything. The collective is always seen is always portrayed to us, almost always. I can't think off the top of my head of a single instance where the collective is portrayed to us as anything other than a negative thing, as anything other than to something to be afraid of, as opposed to be embraced as something where we could actually benefit from it. And But then you have to ask yourselves, well, why do why are we told to look at it that way? Well, because it serves somebody. You're always told to look at something in some way because it serves somebody's interest. And the interest it serves, again, are the people that have stuff because they don't want to share. And the whole idea of collectivization is about sharing. It's about everybody sort of being really equal. And that's not really the way our society here in the Western world is ordered. So, of course, we're told to fear the collective. And we're given the worst possible examples. They they hold out Soviet communism, which is not what communism in its theoretical um, aspect is about. They hold out the Borg. Everything about the idea of a collective, whether it's the collective consciousness or the collective economic, uh, whatever, it, it's bad. It's scary. It, in my view, at least, it would be something that would benefit humanity as opposed to you know, take well, away from humanity. It's, it's not even humanity anymore at that point. If you're a part of uh, a sure collective consciousness, if, I, I guess we're talking about. I was talking about the afterlife part of it, but there, there, see, but I don't. You know, where do, where do you get that from? Because I think you get that from 35 years of inculcation in in what the Western world teaches us to think. No, I just is, think like when you die, if your if your if your consciousness goes into some kind of collective consciousness, you just don't have a body anymore. You're not a human being. You know, you're not like. You're all, all, oh, red pill, red pill junkie, right? Star Wars is the Force. Yeah, absolutely. Good for you, red pill. I like. Yoda, okay, Vale. Yoda did not lie to us. Some Vale just wrote Yoda lied to us. That's not true. You should put that on a mug, dude. You'd sell more, <laughs> Yoda, more than either of those. Yoda those lied. Yoda lied to us. Hey, my other ones are pretty good too. I think, so, uh, but, okay. you know, I saw that show about the Hoodrites. I'm not sure if I like the idea of a of a commune lifestyle. Did you ever watch that show about the Hoodrites? The Hutterites, no, but I've actually been to a Hutterite call, uh, commune in Manitoba when I was younger, um, when I was on a school tour out there. So I, I sort of went through one. It's fascinating. So I'm very familiar with. Part of me would love to be Amish, but uh, in keeping with my fear of, uh, you know, the collective, I'd be afraid to be a part of it. I don't know if I could handle it, but I also find it kind of enticing. The weird thing is, now that I've just sort of, you know, gone all collectivity on everybody, um, part of me would actually like to go to an island somewhere in northern Scotland and never see another human being. So, 
you know, to just be alone with my thoughts and live in, you know, front the world by myself in, um, or maybe a couple of my close friends could pop by every now and then, but by and large, you know, I think I, as I get older, I think I'd actually be happier being divorced from humanity. It's kind of like in Battlestar Galactica, the TV series, the second one, the reboot, when they finally get to earth and one of the characters who's, who's just so fed up, like he's just, he's seen it all wars and everything. And he just says, where are you going to go? And, um, and he says, Chief Tyrrell, and he says, I'm just going to go as far away. He actually talks, he's talking about Scotland. There's this island off the coast of this continent that I can, there's nobody there. So that's where I'm going. And nobody will ever see me again. And so, you know, we all have our different, we all have our different moments and different perspectives on that sort of stuff. Yeah. Plus, I like Scotland. So. Yeah, I'm just saying, you know, cool to be honest. I'd, take, I'd have some hookers with me. <laughs> or some sheep. I don't even know. Yeah, I don't even know if you could. How I don't even know how the economics of that would work. The sheep part well, I do, yeah. but I mean the hookers. Yeah. I'd probably go for the sheep. Yeah, you could be really sinister and be like, you could say you're running a, you could reform the hookers. I've always wanted to have some wild and woolly sex. And this is a family show. The show takes a strange. No, it's not. I've listened to your previous episodes. There's nothing family about it. <laughs> Manson family. Yeah. Yes, quite. So where do you want to go in our last half hour? Because we got, what, half an hour left? we got a half an hour left. Uh, since it's a nice round mark here, let me once again plug that I'll be on Smiles Lewis's Anomaly Radio Live tomorrow night, Wednesday night, September 18th. So if you're listening to this after that, uh, don't bother. I'll go check it out in the archive. Um, that'll be live at 8 p.m. Eastern. You can find out more about it at AnomalyRadio.com. So check it out. Uh, vale has asked a question. What is Paul's favorite UFO documentary besides my own? Um, my own isn't my favorite UFO documentary for a lot of reasons. Yeah, you know, not you the can least. Pick your own. That's no, I don't want to. Well, I wouldn't pick my own anyway. I know, it's not I know. Bad, but it's not really a documentary. It's kind of a. If you're referring to best evidence, it's. I actually, I, the Stan Friedman documentary is is still of all the UFO related films I've done is still my favorite because it it. It's a true documentary. It tells the story of a guy from beginning to middle to end. I think that um, one's excellent, but you know I'm partial yeah. to Stan. Yeah. Um, best evidence, it's kind of a top ten list. So they're like m- little mini documentaries, but I don't actually consider it a traditional documentary. There's a film which is available for free. You can watch it um, as you can my films, as you can James Fox's films. UFO TV, Tim Crawford's outfit, distributes most of these things by a Canadian filmmaker called David Cherniak, who's a much better documentary filmmaker than I was. And it's called The Secret History. I'm pretty sure of this. The Secret History of UFOs. If you, uh, his name is uh, might be David on Netflix. Tr- yeah, it might be, but you can see it on YouTube because um, you can buy these things from Crawford's company, including my own films. But you can also str- view them on YouTube for free. You got to put up with a few ads, but um, that's the price to pay. But yeah, I think I'm pretty sure it's the secret history of UFOs or UFOs: The Secret History. Um, the filmmaker's name is David Cherniak. C H E R N I A C K. He's a Canadian filmmaker who's been around longer than I have, too. And it's a it's a wonderful film. It's a good historical overview of the UFO phenomenon with just enough kind of, I won't say existential thinking, but yeah, there's a little bit of, you know, what does this all mean, Alfie, kind of stuff thrown in there, too. It's really, really well made. And it, it features interviews from guys like Jerry Clark, who rarely 
um, do that kind of stuff, who rarely get involved in television documentary programming because they, they don't trust it with good reason. So, yeah, that that would be probably my favorite, certainly my favorite that I can think of off the top of my head. And I'd also recommend uh, Mike Ancient McDonald's. Aliens on the History Channel. I know you love no. that. No, I'm just kidding. No, it's a terrifying show. Mike, <laughs> McDonald's, Mike McDonald's filmed the Shag Harbor UFO incident. Uh, my friend Mike here in Halifax made a film about that particular case, and it's a well-made film. You know, it's nothing special in the sense it's not going to you're not going to go wowee, but it's a lot of good information, well delivered. It's a good solid documentary about a good solid case that still remains kind of unsolved um, 46 years later. So, Shag Harbor is a great case. Yeah, I think Shag Harbor is one of those. There's a new book coming out by um, Chris Stiles, who was one of the two original researchers. Don Ledger was the other. Um, they co-wrote Dark Object, which was the book about uh, Shag Harbor that was out, what, 15 years ago, I guess. He's got a and, new book um, now? He does, co-written, let's go back to Oak Island, with Graham Sims. Oh, my God, the Graham Sims? Indeed, who my friend Graham Sims, who Tim and I shared a tent with when we were at the Oak Island Festival camping or whatever. Oh, that and was yeah. a terrible decision on our part. Not the sharing of the tent with Graham, but just the camping part. We should have stayed at that gorgeous hotel. We couldn't afford the gorgeous hotel, and I liked the camping. It was fun. I have you on video sitting with beer cans, and I interviewed you. Remember that? Yeah. It's actually up on YouTube. Oh, oh yeah, that's on YouTube. Tim Benal. Um But, yeah, Graham and Chris, Graham is starting a publishing company, and I wrote Nick Redfern and I got advanced copies, and we sort of wrote the back blurb on the cover. And um, it's terrible. I can't remember what the title is, but if you but if you Google Shag Harbor new book, you, you'll you'll see it. And um, it's it's either out now or it's out in the next couple of weeks. And I read it. It's a, it's a oh it's good because I have book. questions about it then. Um, yeah, and Graham or Chris or both of them are guys you should probably have on your show. Oh, I will. Chris has because, been on before. Chris has been on before. Well, what's well then have have Graham on because Graham's a fascinating guy to talk to who knows a lot about things like Oak Island too and stuff like that. So, um, but they're good researchers and it, it they have new information that um, doesn't solve the case but you know uh, adds something to the narrative that exists already about Shag Harbor. Right, that's what I'm asking about. What's the what's the new stuff? Well, I don't want to ruin it for him. Just By give the way, me a, Dale, just give me a taste. Shag Harbor. Harbor and Shag Harbor, you're missing the U. You lazy Americans. It's H-A-R-B-O-U-R. That's how we spell Harbor. That's how it's spelled. What's the new information? They have new... Um, Just give me uh, a Chris, yeah. Chris has been interviewing witnesses, and Graham has been interviewing witnesses for years. Almost all of them remain anonymous. But most of it, as I recall, centers on the question of, like, everybody knows something crashed, or let's not say crashed, something entered the water. Yeah. People witnessed something entering the water. Um, what happened afterwards is where the argument begins. And the question of whether the military, meaning Canadian and American military forces, tracked this object, this whatever it was, underwater, that it moved up to Government Point, which later became a film studio where I shot my terrible film, Eternal Kiss. (laughs) Yeah, no, they turned it in. It was an old, it was a top-secret submarine monitoring base that the Canadian Canadians leased out to the Americans and during the Cold War and when the Cold War ended they closed it down they turned it into a film studio because it was this really cool facility that's located literally if you go to nowhere turn left drive another 5,000 light years and that's where it was so that's where I filmed Eternal Kiss and it's kind of like um, the Blair Witch Project of filmmaking 
sort of. But I I was there. I was every day. I would get up and look out. I, we were staying in the old residences that the military personnel would use, and I could look out into the waters and say, if there was a Shag Harbor UFO or USO that traveled, as people say it did, up the coastline from Shag Harbor to Government Point and then was monitored for a couple of days by a fleet of Canadian and American ships and then eventually traveled down underwater to Maine and flew off, well, that I'm looking at where it was. There would have been ships out there and everything. So they, they talk about a lot of that stuff. Graham also gets into, um, because he's he's very much attuned to Eastern mysticism and some of the more metaphysical aspects of the UFO phenomenon, and he does have a soft spot for exopolitics. Um, or well, elements, of ex- elements of exopolitics. So he talks he talks a bit about that kind of stuff, too. So it's kind of, you know, well, okay, if this is some form of other intelligence in a craft or something, what does it mean to us? Like, So they kind of ask the big question. Oh, that's question good. That, that's good. You know, you don't get if you go to, not to pick on my friend Kevin, but if you go to Kevin Randall's blog and you see people like David Rudiak arguing about, um, I don't know, whatever aspect, the Ramey memo, they never argue about or discuss the big picture question. Well, okay, even if Roswell was an alien, what if we are dealing with some sort of advanced intelligence? What does it mean for us? What is the day after disclosure? Or whether it's a personal disclosure that you just realize yourself or whether it's a societal disclosure, what does that do for us? Well, apparently, because we can look at a guy like David Rudiak and see that in his own world, he's had that disclosure. He's He now believes that um, aliens crashed at Roswell using advanced technology that we're in, that there are these creatures out there. Fine. So he's had his own personal disclosure. He's convinced that that's the case. So now we can look at David Rudiak and say, well, what does the post-disclosure world look like in ufology? Ah, it looks like David Rudiak, because it just means you have no new self-awareness of greater things or anything. You just go to Kevin Randall's blog and write really long posts about how the Ramey memo can be interpreted. That's post-disclosure, folks. Who cares about that? That's the weird. I mean, no offense exactly. to them. It's just you know, you're just you're but arguing Randall, over about a, a, a memo. <laughs> I know. That's why these are not the people you should be looking to answers for because the answers are not about whether something crashed. The answers are about whether there's something out there, whatever it is that we're interacting with. Guys like Graham Sims ask those questions, and even if I don't always agree with the answers they come up with or in the places they look, at least they're asking the questions. Chris Stiles asks those questions, too. So the new book um, talks as much, I think, about that as it does about the Shag case, but it does have some new evidence, and it does, I think there are, they might, it might be one of the divers or a couple of the divers that allegedly went down and saw the, the thing. Um, it's, been a, it's been a month and a half since I read the book, so sorry if I can't give a more precise answer than that. Plus, it's 11.30 here, so I'm tired. Yeah. But It's all right. But, yeah. Oh, and somebody, Vale, on your chat thing just posted the uh, link to UFOs of Secret History. So I saw you. that, yeah. So, folks in so, the chat, go check that out. And uh, Yeah. Yeah, it's on it's on Netflix too, so you can watch it that way too. I'm trying to find the name of that book, but I can't seem to find it. So, oh, the um, Graham Sims book. Yeah. Here, hold on. While we're talking, I will find it for you. I guess I can do that because I'm on the computer, aren't I? Yeah. So, um, keep talking. I can talk. We can talk. But I'll find it. All right. Photos. Sounds good. Well, I already plugged my appearance on uh, Smile Bingo. Lewis show. Oh, that was fast. Found it. Good. Impact to contact the Shag Harbor incident by Chris Stiles and Graham Sims. And I'll, here, because I'll, I love plugging what friends do, here's what Nick Redfern writes. Like real-like equivalents of Holmes and Watson, Stiles and Sims dig deeply and eagerly into a mystery of crashed UFO proportions that even eclipses Roswell. 
packed to the brim with accounts of credible witnesses, military files, human alien encounters, and suspiciously missing official documents, Impact to Contact is an excellent in-depth study of a ufological classic. So there you go. Nice. Nice. And here's what I wrote. Oh, you're all gone. Yeah. Book good. Bye. (laughs) Oh, (laughs) I thought you were going to read some some flowery language uh, back blurb you wrote. How come you didn't write a back blurb? What happened? I did. Oh, you did. Here's my back. Here's the back burble. Much more than just another Roswell knockoff and the crash flying saucer meme, Impact to Contact is a well written and thought provoking detective story about the officially documented 1967 Shag Harbor UFO incident that forces the reader to consider the very real possibility that we are not alone, not only in this universe, but on this very planet. Dum, dum, dum. Nice. Yeah, that, that moves yeah. books. Good but, job. But you. You asked what it, what it, some of the new information. I'll just read from the back. Let's see. Impact to Contact includes UFO policy documents never before released to the public. Nice. Secret RCMP X-Files. That's the Royal Canadian Mounted Police. Oh, yeah. Um, for your listeners who don't know. Links between the folklore of Nova Scotia, which kind of gets into some of the things I talk about, this, the linkages between all these different things, modern UFO activity, and cutting-edge scientific research. Now let's see what else we got here. Impact okay, to Contact introduces... Well, maybe. Let's find out. Impact to Contact introduces key witnesses. Oh, here's some of them. The head of the Air Desk, the little-known branch of the Canadian Armed Forces responsible for on-site military UFO investigations. Ooh. The Jesuit astronomer-priest who secretly investigated UFOs for the authorities. Mm. Oh. The, de- the Department of National Defense, that's in Canada, parapsychologist who headed the Shag Harbor search effort. I didn't even know the DND had a parapsychologist, but they did. Witnesses to alien beings in the area during the incident, RCMP officers and commanding officers of the Canada-U.S. NORAD military bases involved in the case, and the Department of National Defense divers who filmed the two UFOs underwater, and the creatures who were repairing them outside of Canada's most secret Cold War military base. So that's what's in the book. There Sounds go. good. Where can folks get it? This has turned into an a, a odd plug, but where can folks get this book? That I can't tell you because I don't know whether it's it's being published this fall. I don't think okay. it's out so yet. Just, just Google impact to to what? Contact? So it is? Im, impact to contact Chris Stiles and Graham Sims. And, um, or, you know what? When it does come out, I'm on Facebook, uh, Paul Kimball, The Other Side of Truth. The, if you find my Facebook page, I will definitely be plugging Graham's. And I'll leave – you know what? When it comes out, I'll put a, a note on your In All of America Facebook page too. Okay. You so really, yeah, you wrote yourself into quite a number of requirements now, but um, I have a I have a long memory. I'm, I can multitask. <laughs> um, Hillbilly wants to know what you think of ancient sites like Puma Punku or Stonehenge or the pyramids, and who or how they were built. That's a good question. I haven't heard. I like Puma Punku. That's that's. Um, I'm getting loopy, folks. So now when I hear words like Puma Punku, <laughs> I, it amuses me just to say that I'm might spend the rest of the night saying nothing but Puma Punku. Um, Wouldn't be the first time. I do, yeah. My theory on it is that they were all built by humans, that there are no ancient aliens that were building pyramids. It's What did I – hold on, because I did put this on my Facebook page. I put a picture of Godzilla up, and yeah – I, in quotation marks, I wrote, ancient aliens, in quotation marks, is a theory for the building of the pyramids in the same way that, quote, Godzilla caused the 2011 Great East Japan earthquake, end quote, is a theory, which is to say I don't think it's a theory at all. Um, that doesn't mean 
that I don't think that whatever the advanced non-human intelligence is hasn't been interacting with us throughout all of human history. It also doesn't mean that I don't think it hasn't inspired us, because I think it, it probably has. Um, Bach, some of our great composers, some of our great thinkers, theologians, philosophers, I think it's inspired them. What I don't think it's done is constructed blueprints to build a better pyramid. Yeah. And or show us how to do heads. it or anything like that. Right. I, I It comes back to that same old thing. You know, it's like people say, you know, I'm, I'm praying to God to fix my plumbing. I kind of hope God has something better to do than fix your plumbing. That's or mean. whatever. I'm just using fixing your plumbing as a, uh, an example. But the petty mundane things. And so, oh, somebody just wrote Titicaca. That's even funnier than Puma Punka. Uh, it's, yeah. You should see some of the place names here in Nova Scotia. They're um, they're kind of quishibaquack. Uh, wait, that's in New Brunswick. That's a fun one, too. Kejimakujik. That's fun. So I don't actually put any stock in the ancient aliens idea that aliens from other planets came here and built the pyramids. Kind of like an alien versus predator. Remember when the pyramids were right. built? Right. You, yeah. you think that that reason why that's gotten so popular lately is because of the stagnation of ufology that now we've turned back to look, you know, that, that they're saying, well, they're not here right now. They're not doing anything right now. So maybe... Maybe we need to go look back to the to the distant past. It's not just the stagnation of ufology, and I don't want to insult any of your listeners, cause I, and I'm not talking about anybody in particular, but I think it's the dumbing down of society that we have started to believe again in these narratives that are not new. The you know these instead of thinking outside the box about some really weird and wild ways that the paranormal might be interacting with us on a very personal level on a fundamental level of who we are because that's challenging and in some cases as you might point out frightening it's much easier to imagine like a, some bad science fiction film that the aliens showed up here a few thousand years ago and built the pyramids and they're kind of like us and they look like something out of the what was the movie with the aliens um uh, stargate where they were greek gods or um egyptian gods wearing you know hoods and they had laser things and sure stuff. or k-pax yeah now is there some potential kernel of truth in ancient mythologies? I think there probably is, whether it's Norse or Greek um, or Egyptian or whatever, that there might be kernels of truth in there that some of the, we would, you know, Zeus, I'm just going to pick Zeus. You know, you see, you, you create this entire mythology around this great god Zeus, all of these gods, but that's us interpreting, potentially, what may be, were experiences that people described and they assign it to these supernatural beings. And maybe they are supernatural beings. But I don't think that these supernatural beings stepped out and said, by the way, here's the blueprints on how to build the pyramids. Because if you talk to enough archaeologists, if you talk to enough real historians, if you talk to enough people who know what they're talking about, you often hear people say, oh, it would be impossible for us to build the pyramids. They didn't have the technology. Sure they did. You know what the technology was? Thousands upon thousands of Jewish slaves. They weren't all Jewish, but most of them were. And they didn't care how many of them were killed. It's just like this inexhaustible supply of slaves. Fine, we don't care who dies. Just build the pyramids. You can do just about anything if you have an inexhaustible supply of labor and patience because you, the pyramids weren't built in a day. They were built over a period of many years. And you don't mind the fact that thousands upon thousands of these subhuman slaves are going to perish in the process. Eh, who cares? Well, you can accomplish a whole lot if you don't have any morals whatsoever. We, we, we couldn't do it today under, well, we could, but we wouldn't do it today under the same circumstances with our, 
hopefully with the current morals that we have now, we'd find that barbaric. But we're talking about a society that, you know, slavery was secondhand, like these were subhuman creatures. And so what? They're, they're cattle. They're basically animals. So work them to death until they die. And um, Didn't they have anything better to do with these people, though? Then couldn't they have been like tending to crops and stuff that would? Some of them were. I, I guess but, they had that many. But, yeah, but you know, it, you can look at it even in our own. Well, we build these giant buildings. Why? I mean, we we create these urban cores. With we're building up and 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 out in these great. Why? It, 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 it's because we can. Because every and you actually hear people saying, "Well, we have the tallest building." Well, now we have the tallest building, and there's why? Well, because we can. And you would think this is not the most efficient way to design buildings. There's a better, more environmentally friendly way, uh, you know, in terms of urban planning and stuff, than to build. And in Halifax, we we've been having these arguments for years about what to do with our historic downtown core. And there's properly property developers, or as my friend John Wesley Chisholm properly calls them, um, you know, crooks who basically just want to build giant buildings and 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 blot out our skyline because they can, because big is seen as being better. Well, the same thing applied. All leaders, pharaohs, whether they're pharaohs or emperors or kings or presidents or whatever, they like putting on a show. It comes back to bread and circuses. So the, the pyramids were status symbols, you know, and some of it worked into the god worship, but it was all tied up into the class analysis of ancient Egypt and, and how, you know, you maintain power and all that sort of stuff. So you don't think that they were – some people think – now, setting aside the ancient aliens part of it, some sure. people think that they were, you know, that they performed some kind of function beyond, uh, you know, uh, status or, uh, you know, a monument. You know, some people think it was like a battery, I think is one of the things, you know, like some kind, you know that kind of thing. Right. There are people who think that the Nazis had UFOs and flew them to Antarctica after the Second World War, to which I always say, if the Nazis had UFOs, they would have used them. We would be speaking German now and wearing, you know, Gestapo outfits. The Nazis didn't have UFOs. Not, I can't even begin to go into that. those crazy Yeah, things. no one's suggesting that. Let's get back to what I said. So. No, they are. <laughs> people, people, quotation marks, researchers like Joseph Farrell do suggest that exact thing. And it's complete and utter lunacy. There is absolutely no evidence for it. And yet, you see these things pop out on television documentaries and quotation marks on the History Channel. Just because you see something, take it from a guy who makes television programming, or used to make television programming, um, and tried to do it honestly, which is probably why I'm not doing it anymore. Um, there's nothing honest about the television industry. As you said, they want to make a buck. Here's what sells. Nazis. Nazis, strangely enough, 60 years after they get their asses kicked, still sell. I mean, they're still popular. Um, the idea of aliens coming down and building the pyramids, obviously it sells because it keeps ghost hunting. That sells, not as well as it used to, but everybody and their dog has had at one time a ghost hunting show. So just because it's on television doesn't mean it's true, folks. And just because one researcher here or there, and I again use the word in quotation marks, researcher, says this, you have you can't just sort of say, well, we want to believe that, so we're going to pick that guy and say he's right, when everybody else who's studied it says he's wrong. So you kind of at some point there's a consensus of opinion, and you should sort of you should sort of look at the consensus of opinion and say, Meh. because there are real mis. And the part of it, if if there are people who find what I've just said insulting, ah, too bad. Because what annoys me, and here we are, this is old school other side of truth. It annoys me because there's so many 
really mysterious, interesting, fascinating things out there. And it gets lost in the shuffle because people talk about Nazi UFOs or on the History Channel. <sighs> Don't get me started. Or they, they talk about ancient aliens or they talk about Roswell. These things. These tent, if it was a movie industry, they'd call them tentpole films. Big budget in a relatively small pool. But the, the big ticket items. And the big ticket items are the Michael Bay films. That's what Ancient Aliens is. It's a Michael Bay analysis of ufology or of the, the, the idea of aliens or something. And the real possibilities are so much more interesting, including that maybe in ancient Egypt and ancient Rome and ancient Greece and all these ancient societies, we were interacting with this advanced non-human intelligence. They just weren't building pyramids. Yeah. Because we know who built the pyramids. We did. Well, you and I didn't, but our ancestors did. I and we know how they... We know how they built the pyramids, and boom, there it is. You just won't hear that on ancient aliens, but that's okay. You will hear it if you go to any archaeology course in any university in the United States. All right. Which is probably where you should get your information as opposed to ancient aliens. Oh. But it's good television. No, it's terrible television. <laughs> yeah, no, I know. It's horrible. It's just poorly made. Um, now, and, you know, the, go ahead. the last thing I'll say about this in the television industry even people that you would look at and you would think um, have some credibility. I'm just going to, because James Fox, he made, uh, what was it, Out of the Blue, and um, I Know What I Saw, or no, yeah, wait, that was the it. Lindsay Lohan film, wasn't it? No, I think that was it. Okay, fine. Oh, hers was I Know What You Did Last Summer. Well, I don't no, know. that wasn't then hers, he, but go on. Then he goes and he makes um, Chasing UFOs, and then he disowns Chasing UFOs, and he says, well, I have no idea that they were, I got screwed, blah, blah, blah. He didn't get screwed, folks. He knew exactly what he was doing when he went into it. He wanted to enhance his profile. He wanted the money. He wanted the gig. He wanted everything that comes with doing a show on National Geographic. I know what comes with doing a show on networks like that because I've turned down opportunities to do that because I wouldn't do what James Fox did, turn my back on my principles, and then, making matters even worse, trying to weasel your way out of it after it all goes south and people realize your show completely sucks by trying to claim that you had nothing to do with it, that they screwed you. There are people who have been screwed by the entertainment industry, but the people who get screwed by the entertainment industry are one of two types of people, and this does relate to the kind of programming that you'll see on the paranormal. They will be people who went along with it and then lie about it afterwards, or they will be people who should have known better because they were experienced, and Fox was definitely experienced, and closed their eyes because they were being given money or status or whatever. So that's the kind of programming that is being churned out. And it's why I haven't made programming about the paranormal since 2007, because I refused to make that kind of, Well, not true. I did do ghost cases, sorry, but I had carte blanche on ghost cases to make the show I wanted. I thought to make. you were going to make another TV show. That's what I was talking about at the beginning. No, the documentary Beyond Best Evidence, that will be – it is – I mean, it's tied up – Part of it's financial. It's tied up in me being able to have the money taken out of film projects and corporate overhead from other things that are the things that I do now. I make feature films. To I do want to go back and make Beyond Best Evidence. The money that people donated through Indiegogo for you and I is still sitting there. I just need we need a lot more to do it properly. Right. But that I will make that film not for a television network. I will make that film my way, our way. And then if somebody wants to buy it after the fact then they will buy it on our terms because That's it will right. be what we want to talk about. And if they don't want to put it on television and buy it, then we will if we had to, we'll distribute it ourselves. We'll sell DVDs off our websites or whatever. But I think 
if you have the courage of your convictions and are willing to put your own money behind it, if you really believe in something, you can find an audience for it. The problem is people like James Fox don't believe in something. And so they make shows like Chasing UFOs. And if somebody, even if I'd quit, if they took me out in the desert and even if I didn't know what was coming, as soon as they dressed me up in that silly outfit and had me <laughs> running over hills with flashlights or whatever saying, did you copy, 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 whatever the girl's name or whatever that is, I'd just walk off and I'd say, you know what, sue me. Just sue me because that's, you know, I didn't sign up for this. But he went and he continued to do it knowing that it was, knowing that it was bad. Well, All right, you know, let's – we got five minutes left here, so I, I don't trust you not to use all five minutes. So let's get the plugs in. What do you have coming up that people should know about and they should check out and all that good stuff? Nothing. Wow. I don't. I don't. I don't got nothing to plug. I, what about books? You got the Aaron Gullius book coming out. You got the Mac Tony's book coming out. True. Um, uh, you can get my book. You can, my the company's website is. I do have stuff to plug. Red Star Film TV. So R E D S T A R F I L M T V dot com, and you can get our books there. You can see all of the films that I've done. I'm pretty sure all the films for free because they're on YouTube, so I link to them. But you can also go to the sites. Uh, Best evidence was finally released earlier this year as a DVD by UFO TV, and in, on the DVD included as bonus materials are the Stan Friedman documentary, sweet, and Fields of Fear. I'm pretty sure it's Fields of Fear. Yeah, Fields of Fear, which is the documentary I did about Canadian cattle mute investigator Fern Belzil, is included as a uh, as bonus material. You don't have to pay for them. So you get three docs for the price of one, plus there's a few other bonus things on, I think. So all of that stuff's there. Uh, for me, it's um, feature films. Keep an eye out for Damnation, which will be out in, well, November of this year. Start shooting Roundabout, which is the new one in November. And... Um, and, uh, you know, just check the website uh, for updates. And the books, right. My book is out. Mac's book, um, Post-Human Blues, Volume 1, is available. And coming out over the next couple of months, there's been a slight technical glitch on uh, my computer end. But will be Aaron Gullius's book, The Chaos Conundrum. Uh, Nick Redfern, a book on um, Men in Black, a sequel to his earlier book on Men in Black. And uh, another book by Mac Tonys, another compendium of his post-human blues writing. And some other stuff, a book by my friend Dave Sadler from the United Kingdom, Paranormal Investigator. So mostly paranormal stuff. Nice, nice. And is what's the overall same same thing, Red Star, for the books too? What's the... Yep, that's the one-stop shopping site. And then there's the books, there's the um, films and television, and uh, my radio podcast, The Other Side of Truth. You can go to Kimball Radio or whatever it is, and that's where you'll find The Other Side of Truth podcast. Interviews with Stan Friedman, Dean Radin, Nick Redfern, and next year, because season two is almost over, with Tim Benall. Yeah, you should do that. About that. You should yeah. definitely do that. So, yeah, you'll be on in season three, and, um, yeah, there's a lot of good episodes. I really recommend the Kevin Randall one is the one that a lot of people have been talking about because it's all about Roswell and Kevin sort of says some things about Roswell and the, and his view of it that surprised a lot of the pro-Roswell ET people when they heard it. So All right, nice. I give that one a listen. All right, well, let me throw my plugs in here uh, at the end of the show. I already plugged it twice, but I want to do it one more time because I felt bad I really didn't give this enough juice uh, earlier in the week. I'm going to be on Smiles Lewis's Anomaly Radio Live on Wednesday night, September 18th at 8 p.m. Eastern. That's live, my friends. And you can find out more about that at AnomalyRadio.com. If you want to find out more about BOA, just head on over to BinallofAmerica.com, B-I-N-N-A-L-L of America.com. 
In addition to that, punch in Benal of America on Facebook. That's where you get a whole bunch of updates from us on what's going on. If you can help us out, that would be huge. We really need your help uh, paying the bills. This blog talk actually costs more than I expected. So punch in uh, BenalofAmerica.com, head on over to PayPal, or uh, send us a donation via the P.O. Box. Next week's show, I have no plans right now for that. I, I want to do a live show. I may not do a live show. I'm not positive yet. We're very we're very close to the start of Season 8, so I'm getting a little uh, OCD about Season 8 kicking in. I'm actually taping the season premiere of Season 8 earlier in the day on Tuesday the 24th, so I may be completely burned out. But I've got three or four people in mind that I might want to talk to for the final live show before Season 8 kicks off. So stay tuned to Been All of America for more information about that. Season 8 tapings are already underway, and they are tremendous, folks. Taped an amazing episode yesterday that is going to completely blow your mind. And with all that said, thank you, Paul, for coming on the show. Much appreciated, my friend. It was a uh, very fast and loose and fun conversation, buddy. Thanks, Tim. Always a pleasure. Thanks to everybody in the chat forum, and thanks to Lobo for calling in. Exactly, yes. Thank you, Lobo, for calling in. Tune into his uh, show, folks, at projectarchivist.com. That's all we have left for the night, folks. Thank you very much for tuning in. This is Tim Benall. Thank you for listening and signing off.